Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the proud host of this show. Today we've got a very fun show planned for you, as you're going to hear from all of our great Sports Call co-hosts, Brooke Childress, Brant Daughtry, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy in just a little bit. We've got a great show lineup planned for you today. As at 3.30, we're going to have Gary Stoken on the program. All this will be, for the most part, pre-recorded today as everyone starts to go home and make their way uh, home from these SEC Media Days 2023. Gary Stoken at 3.30, the uh, Peach Bowl coordinator, had a great conversation about uh, not only the AFLAC kickoff game but the Peach Bowl and its place in the college football playoff. At 4.10 today, the SEC Network's Cole Kublik, who also, of course, does McElroy and Kublik on Jocks in, in Birmingham and also has a podcast, the Cube Show podcast. That's coming up at 410. At 4.30, our pre-recorded interview with the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey, had him uh, pre-recorded a day or two ago. Just had so many things going on, so we finally uh, get to air that 4.30 Greg Sankey interview. 5.10, we'll have a pre-recorded interview with Chris Gordy, the Locked On SEC podcast host, who uh, kind of previews kind of the whole conference with us. Of course, a nightly TV guide at the end of the show. So another full lineup. Of course, we'll take your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line when we are able to at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 Of course, we got our guy T.P. Hammock back in our Tiger Communications studios running the board and taking your phone calls today. Again, Ryan Brooks, Brant, and Cam right now. We'll start with you, Brooks. Uh, all those interviews, they're pre-recorded. That means for our listener at home, Brooks Childress is the one editing them, putting them into the system, doing a lot of, uh, of work. <laughs> Indeed. And so, Brooks, we appreciate that, that you've done all, all week long. And uh, the good news is there are no more pre-recorded interviews for you to work on. You're good. You're Thank good. goodness. <laughs> Although, I, I'm, we're not going to give anything away, but Ryan's, Ryan's been working here at SEC Media Days for the future, and we already have an interview. It's going to be pre-recorded for us next week that we've scheduled for, an, and so be on the lookout for a, a high-profile interview next week uh, coming to Sports Call. So I'll have to edit that, but it'll be on a, a nice desktop computer, and so I'm. You'll have thankful. a weekend break yeah. in between yeah. and all that good stuff. Get to go to you know do you know, just away from editing for a couple days is what I, I'm really looking forward to. But yeah, uh, final day of SEC Media Days is Ole Miss Day. It was South Carolina Day, and of course it was Tennessee Day. Uh, you know Auburn is typically in the last few years has been a Thursday get uh, in in Birmingham and up in Atlanta, but this year they got moved up a couple days. Tennessee, the headliner, it feels like the headliner for um, for today, just because we're in the home state of the Volunteers. Uh, it didn't feel like a headliner when Vanderbilt was here earlier in the week because they were also on a Georgia Day, I believe. Wasn't it Vanderbilt, yeah. Auburn, Georgia, and um, 
somebody else. Uh, Mississippi State was all on the same day. Yeah, I think so. And so it was uh, – it didn't feel like – even though we're in the home city for Vandy, uh, it didn't feel like a home game for them. It, it felt more – there was a, there was quite a few fans down in the lobby when we came in wearing that Tennessee orange uh, earlier uh, earlier today when we got in. But, yeah, big day. Uh, Lane Kiffin uh, was the star of the day by far. Had a few uh, viral quotes go on Twitter. I saw ESPN push notification come out about uh, some of the comments he made about NIL a little bit earlier. And so we're, we're wrapping up Media Days in style here with uh, Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel and Shane Beamer. Shane Beamer, I think Shane Beamer actually had the biggest contingency following him around as we were walking, as he was walking up and uh, around Even the us. momentum of the following yeah. grows around. I, <laughs> like, I, was, we, I watched Kiffin walk by, and he had two people walking in front of him. He was just kind of like walking by himself right behind his two people carrying a coffee. You know what it was like? What was that? It was like he's the old Miss coach. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know, that, I know that Lane Kiffin is a big entity in college football, but it's like it's the Ole Miss coach, honestly. Yeah, and then, you know, like you said, we've got a lot of interviews to set up for today. Uh, enjoyed talking to every single one of these uh, folks, uh, and uh, it, it's a lot of a lot of great stuff. I'm glad we were able to be here all week. Glad to bring, uh, bring everybody this content. Looking forward to uh, bringing it to you throughout the show today. Brant Dontry on with us right now. Brant, how are you feeling here as uh, we're starting to put a bow on SEC Media Days 2023? Uh, tired? Is that, a, is that an acceptable answer? Sure, yes, um, yes. Hey, it's been awesome, and I'm going to keep saying that. Every time we talk about how it's been, I'm just going to keep saying, man, this has been so cool uh, just to come up here and, and, and you know, see all these people, talk to all these people. The interviews we've got are, are really good. I'm excited about them. Uh, and I'm just excited, you know, sad that today's the last day, but also ready to sleep in my own bed again. So uh, we're, it's been big, man. It's been a big time. And then Cam Berry also on with us right now. Cam, your first Media Days experience too, I'm sure, towards the end of the program. I'll, I'll get your guys' complete thoughts on how everything went. But, uh, but Cam, <laughs> I, I think, uh, again, first Media Days today, you can see what we've always been talking about where – Starts to trail off a little bit. The, the, even yeah. the background noise is lower and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, man, it's been a lot of fun this week. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. Had a great time. Uh, yeah, it's not as not as bustling. There's not not as many people hanging around. And, uh, you know, everybody seems to be ready to wrap up and ready to go home. I'm also ready to go home. I'm, I'm pretty tired. I'm not going to lie. Did enjoy kind of the, the night scene of Nashville last night. So that was great. Um, and, and saw a few, you know, couple of couple of downtown scenes. So that was really enjoyable. Uh, and ran into somebody that I hadn't seen since high school. That was pretty. That was pretty cool as well. Playing the guitar. So uh, happened to walk into the bar he was playing at. So that was that was really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's been great. You know, great first experience. Ready. Um, you know, can't wait to do it again. Hopefully next year. And uh, yeah, just. Just had a great time, enjoyed this time hanging out with you guys too and, and doing all this, and I uh, really enjoyed it. You know what kind of makes me a little upset about the last day of Media Days? Uh, One, that it's over. Nice. But two, that Ole Miss, Ole Miss's contingency and South Carolina's contingency wrapped up around noon. Right. They're already been back at their schools for like an hour by now. <laughs> they, they, they flew back. The only ones that haven't made it back is Tennessee because we literally just saw a couple of them walking around right, about 30 Josh minutes Heichel. ago. Yeah. And so it, it makes me upset that they're already back there and we still have a, a while to go to drive. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll be getting in late this evening, uh, that's for sure. What, what I'm saying is can we get a budget next year for a private jet? 
What I'm, what I'm going to tell you is right That's now is no, and uh, over the next 12 months, I think that answer will change to probably, definitely no. Uh, so I think. Uh, but well, hey, man, keep your fingers crossed. Huh? Yeah, you I will. Know, you just never, never know. know. You never know, indeed. Uh, but uh, before we get to our first break, we get to our first first phone call and all that stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Ole Miss and Tennessee as they were. I mean, really, we can talk about South Carolina, too. I guess I should throw it to you guys. What what stood out to you here in day four between the Lane Kiffin show? He had a lot of interesting comments, for sure, in the main media room. I was reading through them earlier today. Then the draw that Tennessee is, the momentum that South Carolina has. What do you guys want to hit on first here? I think the thing is, you know, I've talked to, we've talked about Ole Miss and how the, the end of their last season was not very good. But before that, you know, you look at the body of work that Lane Kiffin has, there's a lot of reason for Ole Miss to have hope. So they're probably the lowest in terms of how hyped they are for this season, but they're still pretty, feeling pretty confident. You look at Shane Beamer at South Carolina, they, he's got them in a, at a pitch that they haven't seen since uh, the Steve Spurrier years. Uh, it, he, he's got them believing they can start competing for SEC championships if things start to break their way a little bit. So they're feeling pretty good. And then you've got Tennessee that's coming off of their best season since the Obama administration or the, the George W. Bush administration. They, they're feeling pretty good. So you've got three guys, you've got three head coaches that are in pretty good spots with the schools they're working at. Now, again, there's context to everything, and, and I always say these, these things can swap on a dime. But you've got three programs with really nice momentum right now that have kind of shown their proof of concept. And it's been, I don't know, the vibes around the, the vibes around media days are always going to be good because no one's going to come up on that stage and just go like, ah, we're going to suck next year. We're going to win three games. I don't know. But you should have heard Will Muschamp a few years I ago. I talked about that all the time. You've, yeah. you've ta- you, we have talked about that before, which is pretty funny. But Yeah, he was just for, like, for, the O-line's just not good. Yeah. He was just like, I don't, I don't think we have the numbers up there. It's like, oh, well, they don't have the numbers up there. Yeah, but, for, but again, for the most part, I, I think – the vibes around today have been extremely positive, overwhelmingly so, uh, from the three coaches that we've heard from. Yeah, this could be positivity day, honestly, yeah. with, with these three programs. They're all kind of in little different parts of the SEC, if not currently, at least historically. We know Tennessee tends to be towards the top. They had had a, a big problem the last 15 years or so, but that got back towards the top last year and got to a New Year's Six Bowl. They're obviously ha- having positive momentum. I know the year for Lane Kiff and Ole Miss ended so poorly last year, but again, batting above the program history still in these last two years for Lane Kiffin, and Ole Miss, and then obviously with what Shane Beamer did at South Carolina last year, best year since Steve Spurrier, and uh, beating Clemson too. I mean, again, yeah. that, that is one of the uh, – look, it, it may not be one of the best rivalries in the country from a competitive standpoint or just from a national perspective, but I promise you, as the, as the people of Mississippi care so much about the Egg Bowl, the people of South Carolina care immensely about South Carolina and Clemson. It's so real. to them, that is yeah. such a huge deal. And for South Carolina to climb that mountain of beating Clemson, for the first time in a long time was a big deal and momentum gaining in itself. And also these three coaches, kind of all different personalities. Heupel's kind of a quieter offensive guy that, that just kind of keeps to himself, doesn't really talk much out la- or out to the media and that sort of thing. Lane Kiffin is kind of a headline grabber. He is a kind of a, an eccentric that we know is is very, very adept at offense, kind of like Heupel, but again, a little bit more outspoken. A little People just 
are, are always waiting yeah. to hear what Kiffin and says next. Yeah. And then Shane Beamer is the one that actively seeks out opportunities to sell his program, get out in the media, try to build that, that publicity and that sort of thing. So kind of different personalities from these guys, but kind of a balanced way to end media days, honestly, when we're thinking about these three programs and, and how they're all kind of unified and at least taking steps up from where they have been. Yeah, they really have been. Uh, uh, Shane uh, Beamer always talks about just kind of the way he, he exudes himself and high energy and so much excitement. And you know, he's always, you know, Beamer ball, da 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 da, and all, all the different things about that. So uh, South Carolina is always a, uh, an, an enjoyable program now that he's the head coach. They're enjoyable to kind of watch from afar and see how they're doing. And like you said, big wins over Clemson, uh, win over Tennessee as well, uh, which Tennessee was doing really well. So, uh, in, in last season, and Josh Heupel, like you said, has gotten, uh, like Brent mentioned, you know, best season since the since the George W. Bush administration. So it's been a been a minute for them to really see some success. So you can tell when Tennessee had that win over Alabama. I mean, obviously Knoxville was absolutely rampant, um, and and the excitement was was at the top at the highest that it's been in a really really long time. Um, and so, yeah, and then with Ole Miss, you know what you're going to get with Lane Kiffin, uh, a high-powered offense, maybe not as good of a defense, um, but they're going to try and drop about 45 points on you and uh, see if see if you can score more. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really exciting, um, and, and these teams are, are trending up. All three of these teams are trending up, especially um, South Carolina and, and Tennessee. So uh, it's exciting to see where they'll be this season. There's a really good chance that the media poll comes out tomorrow from SEC Media Days, and all three teams that went today are in the top four, or voted in the top four of their division. I could, yeah. you could very well much, you can very well see Tennessee probably going to be second in the East uh, if if you had to, if you're thinking about this logically. There's a really good shot South Carolina could be voted third or fourth in the SEC East, depending on where a lot of the media members put Kentucky. Um, and then on the other side, depending on you know how you how you order things there, it's it's probably going to be Alabama, LSU, and then you could see Ole Miss being anywhere from three, maybe in that four position. Maybe they maybe someone votes them lower. Maybe maybe a few people vote them lower and knocks them down a little bit lower. But you could very well see both of the or all three teams today in the top four of their divisions at uh, going into the poll that is released tomorrow out of SEC Media Days uh, that, that we all have the privilege of getting to vote in for, for being up here credentialed media members of the Southeastern Conference. And so um, it, it's all three of these programs have had high marks last year. Uh, Ole Miss was a little bit earlier than the rest. Ole Miss peaked, peaked really early, and then when, when all the rumors started flying about uh, Lane Kiffin, Maybe being the Auburn coach, it, it got a little distracting. It felt like, and they kind of ended the year on a low note. But that doesn't. Like, you look at them coming into this year; they've they've got some high expectations. Uh, you know, a ten win season is, is what you're what you're looking for if you're Ole Miss's fans and uh, around the national media. Tennessee, uh, there's there's a lot of people that think that Tennessee can really compete with Georgia this year. Um, it, 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 they got to take that step forward. See how uh, Milton does as their starting quarterback coming into this year. We know he's a good quarterback. We we saw it last year. But does he take that next step into the full time starters role at Tennessee? And it, does he adapt, adapt to that and not just being I'm a I'm a good backup for Hendon Hooker? And then South Carolina ended the year on a, a uh, I don't know if there's another team that ended a uh, regular season on a higher note, knocking off a top ten, top five Tennessee team, and then knocking off a top ten Clemson team. Uh, and you went to that bowl game against Notre Dame, 
you lost that, but it's still you. You got to a New Year's uh, Day bowl game. I think that the the Gator Bowl is a New Year's Day game now, uh, but you got to a New Year's Day game uh, bowl game. Was able to be on national TV in front of a lot of people. Get your message out there, and the 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 momentum has just carried into the off season for for Shane. Uh, yeah, Shane Beamer and the the rest of that Gamecocks team. So it, it's it's a big. It was a big day. Uh, like you guys said, a couple teams that you're you're not always talking about as the the top teams in the conference year after year, uh, but they a lot of high expectations at SEC Media Days today. Tomorrow on the show, provided that the results are made available before we come on the show at three o'clock, uh, we plan on revealing how we voted in some of these big races. If it's okay with everybody, I know some people can be a little private about their voting ballot. I'm certainly uh, willing to be an open book and, and tell you how I voted. So we'll kind of compare some notes on how. Uh, we voted versus how the, the league as a whole voted. I assume yeah. there's not too many hot takes amongst us. I think it's going to look pretty similar to how the league as a whole voted, but we'll probably do that on tomorrow's show. We're going to take our first time out of today's show. On the other side, we'll go to the Auburn Bank phone line. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live from Radio Row in Nashville, Tennessee, 2023 SEC Media Days winding down. We'll be right back. you want to join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry, Brant Dontry, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. TP Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls in our Tiger Communications studios. Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show this afternoon, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good in War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that uh, we're wrapping up. I know that uh, y'all have been there for, what, the past uh, couple of days in uh, in Nashville, and it was really it was really amazing um, watching uh, SEC Media Days and uh, getting to see some of the uh, some of the coaches that uh, they're they're actually going to do great uh, this coming up football season and. Um, I, I'm I'm just very intrigued that uh, Nashville actually, uh, you know, asked us to actually come out there as you know as to to a beautiful place like Nashville, Tennessee, to host the SC Media Days as well. Yeah, uh, Nashville has been a uh, a wonderful host. They've started to move this thing around. They're going to continue to move this thing around. I don't expect a permanent home anytime soon. The Media Days, and you know where we're going next year, right, James? You're going to my you're going to my my favorite place that I would like to go with y'all, Dallas, Texas. Yeah, Dallas, Texas. It's going to be a, a big fun time and big D. We're looking forward to it. Yes, that's well. I wish I was out there on um, on uh, you know where y'all do uh, you know the the show out there. I would love to be out there in uh, Radio Row and uh, getting to be uh, getting to actually. Uh, you know, help you all out with a lot of callers and actually, you know, taking some callers' questions and asking them 
the same questions I'm going to ask right now. Yeah, absolutely. We look forward to answering your questions. So what do you have for us today? Well, I'm actually uh, talking. I'm going to actually start off uh, kicking this thing off because I know we're right around the corner to college football season. And I'm going to be watching some college football games in August and uh, seeing some great things in uh, in 2023 uh, that might make it to a bowl game. So I'm just going to see uh, some great games. Uh, seeing one that's going to be uh, Notre Dame and Navy, and um, I have Notre, I have Navy actually beating Notre Dame because I think with Navy the Navy midshipmen, I think they look like a good like a good bowl team that I'm actually going to look at in December as well. Yeah, I think uh, that Navy try, certainly expects to try to make a, a six-win campaign, make one of those like Armed Forces Bowls or that sort of thing. Uh, I think that Navy and Notre Dame, though, that would be interesting just because that's such a different style of football that Navy plays when they play someone like Notre Dame that Notre Dame's used to. But I know Notre Dame's got more talent, so I think they'll still be pretty heavy favorite. But sometimes, you know, Navy and that triple option does give some teams fits. Yes, as well, because, I mean, when, when they actually – Look, when they actually brought out the new schedule for 2023, uh, there were, when they did like the college football, uh, selections on these different, um, bowl, on the different games, they were saying that Army, uh, uh, Navy and Notre Dame, this would be like a great matchup on paper. These two schools have played years and years in history. But I think this year, this is going to be one to watch as well. Well, we uh, we certainly hope so. We will, we hope a lot of the games that we watch throughout the year are close ones and good competitive games. That would be fun. Yes, as well, because with uh, college football uh, starting in August, I know it's going to be week zero, so that's going to really make a lot of college football fans very happy. And uh, when the actual season starts on week one, it's going to be all Auburn on September the 2nd. It's going to be a really good game. I'm actually going to watch it, and ESPN is actually covering our game for that one. And I'm going to see how Hugh Freeze is actually going to bring a lot of cold, uh, a lot of cold to Jordan Harris Stadium. So it, it's going to be. It's, most people say that it it doesn't get cold. It don't get cold in September. Oh, it, it's going to get cold this September. So. <laughs> Bring out the bring out the cold uh, jacket this time around. It's going to get cold. It's going to get pretty frosty in Jordan Hare Stadium. Yet Auburn plays UMass at two thirty on September the second on ESPN. Nearly a forty point favorite right now, the Tigers. So Auburn with kind of a warm up game there as they get ready to go out to California that next week. Yes, as well because when we play in uh, in California, I know that's going to be a really good game. I'm going to be watching that one. And I'm actually going to see if – I know Auburn is going to win that one, so we're going to win those first two games off our schedule. Then we come back in October to actually play at home against uh, Sanford. So that's going to be a great game. So that's going to be our, that's going to be three wins off of our season uh, under the Hugh Freeze era. So I think Auburn might make it uh, a really good win. And when we get down to the end of our schedule to play Georgia – and Alabama, I think those are going to be a really good uh, test to, to show the national championship, Georgia Bulldogs, and uh, our rivals, Alabama. So we're, we're going to be rocking in Jordan Hare Stadium as well. That is certainly the goal. Want to obviously have uh, the right amount of expectations, but certainly want to try to 
always beat them and surpass them and that sort of thing. And looking forward to the first year of Hugh Freeze era in Auburn. Yes, as well. And then I'm actually looking at uh, some some great things in the NFL. I know it's right around the corner to the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony, so I'm going to be looking at that. And then while they're talking about the 2023 Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony that's going to be going on the week before the uh, the National Football League Hall of Fame game, I'm actually going to be looking at next year in 2024 and uh, seeing some great Hall of Famers that are going to be there, the next class that's going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I, I probably see this. I'm going to see if Cam – I know Cam Newton, he's a Hall of Fame ballot um, first 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 ballot Hall of Famer, so I think he's going to be a really good um, a good person to actually make that happen for us as well. Yeah, it will take a few years because uh, his first time being eligible will be 2027, so he that would be the first time he'd be able to go in the Hall of Fame. We'll see if he actually does end up making the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I do not think it would be first bout because I don't think it's an obvious Hall of Fame selection, but we'll see if he ends up in the Hall of Fame one day, but again, he's not eligible until 2027. Yeah, so if he's going to be around that time, in 2027, I know it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a really good thing that he's going to get a, a huge knock on his door from the president over the Hall of Fame. And I, I know he's really going to be in the Hall of Fame with some other uh, great Carolina Panther legends as well before him. And, you know, he, he, he's a really good, he's a really good guy. He has uh, done so much with the University of Auburn, played at Auburn, uh, done some, some great things. I, I would take one moment away from Cam Newton when I was actually in Jordan-Hare Stadium when we played against LSU. He did an amazing uh, two-point conversion run. i never seen that in college football with Cam Newton, and that, will, that, will, that moment will stand with me to the test of time as well. Yeah, no, obviously there was a lot of great plays that Cam Newton made as an Auburn Tiger, a lot of great plays he made in the National Football League for Carolina as well, but uh, we certainly always appreciate the Auburn days and uh, certainly appreciate uh, the year that Auburn did to see Cam Newton roaming those sidelines and, and playing football for the Tigers, won just about everything you could in just one year on the Plains. Yes, that's well, and then uh, there's some baseball news. Uh, for next year in 2024, they're going to be doing the opening day on June, on July the 6th of 2024. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be in different, uh, places that they're trying to actually make, uh, the opening days, uh, a little bit more, uh, historic. So I don't know where they're going to land the, the opening day next year. So, I'm I'm actually looking at some uh, great uh, venues. I'm looking at Atlanta. I'm looking at uh, uh, Dallas. I'm looking at Arlington for the uh, Texas Rangers. I think the Texas Rangers uh, should do opening day there. Um, you know, it, it, it's so much. Uh, it's so many great uh, baseball venues that I would like to see uh, for 2024 opening day for next year. Yeah, opening day will be. A little bit earlier than uh, than that, it'll be in late March or so. That's usually when 
Major League Baseball gets going these days, and uh, they they announce kind of all the different home series and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, Atlanta will not be at home in Truist Park to start the year. They'll be in Philadelphia, has been the case of a few times here recently. So, uh, yeah, they, they rolled out that schedule here the other day, and obviously we haven't talked about it too much because we've been here at media days, but uh, the baseball season going ahead and releasing next year's opening day schedule, and really the full schedule, I believe. I believe they released the whole thing. Yes, that's all because I know uh, seeing my Texas Rangers uh, actually winning a couple of games and losing a couple of games, I'm just going to see how we're going to do for the remaining of the season, and I'm hoping that we make it to the World Series as well. That is always the hope. We'll see if Texas can do it. Do you have any final thoughts for us today, James? We have to let you go. Um, I don't have any final thoughts for today, but I'll probably call you all back on something that's very, very special. Um, I'll probably save that one for uh, Friday's show. It's something that I was looking at earlier, uh, seeing LeBron James actually being in San Juan, Puerto Rico, taking in uh, a great game that's going to be played tonight and uh, seeing some great uh, some great uh, basketball that's going to be played tonight in uh, Puerto Rico. All right. Yeah, I'll admit I, I don't know much much about that, but that's why we'll have to talk to you about it tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle, James. Hope you have a great day. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we're going to have that interview with Gary Stoken, the Peach Bowl coordinator. We conducted that interview a little earlier this week. We'll talk to Gary about numerous things, including the new sponsorship with Aflac and then, again, the, the Peach Bowl's place in the college football playoff. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Call Tiger 95.9 on Radio Row here in Nashville, Tennessee for 2023 SEC Media Days. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress now with the president and CEO of the Peach Bowl, Gary Stoken. Gary, we've been honored to have you on throughout the years, honored to have you back here. How are things going with you, uh, with you this week in Nashville? Great to see you guys. I know when I see you guys, it's uh, college football season. It's a great time of the year, so we're excited. We've... Uh, We've signed a new title partner to our uh, kickoff game, the Aflac kickoff game uh, with Georgia Tech Louisville opening up on Friday, September 1st, an ACC conference game So, uh, and a Friday night game, which is unusual for us. But we'll be in prime time, and then uh, we'll end the season with the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Chick-fil-A staying as part of the bowl game. Uh, longest title sponsor in bowl history. Uh, they've been great partners to us. I often tell people... Their, uh, their food is great, but their people are even better. So we're blessed to have Chick-fil-A uh, staying with us on the bowl game. And we'll have two teams 
uh, two top ten teams supplied to us by the CFP to end the uh, the tenth year of the CFP contract. The eleventh year will we'll see uh, the start of the C, uh, CFP twelve team playoff, where we'll host a quarterfinal either December thirty first or January first, and then in twenty five. We'll end the 12-year contract with uh, a semifinal game like we did this year with Georgia and Ohio State and had 24.5 million viewers, which is in the top 20 all-time cable TV broadcasts in TV history. So, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. And, you know, in between that, we've got a kickoff game with Georgia and Clemson to start the season in 24, which will be a blockbuster game. And then in 25, two games, Tennessee and Syracuse, as well as – uh, Virginia Tech and South Carolina. So great lineups and sprinkled in there is the SEC championship game in early December every year. Yeah, there's a lot of great things to talk about, as you already hit on some of those things. How important for you is it, uh, Because it, and how cool is it to have one of the premier games to start a college football season and then have one of the premier games to end a college football season? Yeah, we had a vision to uh, make Atlanta the capital of college football. We went and got the College Football Hall of Fame and moved it from South Bend to Atlanta. Um, we felt like, you know, that was important. And then starting the kickoff game format, uh, which previously to us starting that, you know, you'd see a lot of nondescript games where the attendance wasn't very good, TV ratings weren't very good. But now people can't wait to start a college football season. You've had last year Ohio State and Notre Dame opened up. Um, you know, we had Georgia, Oregon open up. Um, so these blockbuster games have been uh, great for college football, and um, you know we're pleased to, and honored to be a part of it. Yeah, Gary, when, when you look at the, the history of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, and especially when it comes to the college football playoff, uh, y'all have always had some exciting games, and, and it's it, last year was, was no different. What is going to be the difference, though, going from hosting a, a Peach Bowl where every few years you're a semifinal to every year we're a part of the whole playoff? Yeah, we look forward, and hopefully, uh, from your lips to God's ears, in 2026, we stay a part of that playoff going forward. Uh, you know, it'll be great in 24 to to, uh, to be a part of the playoff uh, and have a quarterfinal game where we either have a conference champ that's ranked either number one, two, three, or four, playing against a first-round winner, uh, and then in the semifinal, you know, we'll have two of the, you know, the top four teams left to get to the championship game, so... You know, big-time games, our, our, our city, our stadium, our fans, our volunteers, our board members, our staff, which is the best in the business, you know, really enjoy hosting people. Uh, we can't wait to have Auburn back. Uh, Auburn's been very, very good to us, uh, you know, through kickoff games and, and bowl games. And I know with you, Freeze, they'll get back to Atlanta sometime soon, whether it be the SEC championship game or a, hopefully a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl uh, down the road. Obviously, there's a footprint in Atlanta with not only this conference, also the ACC, and trying to work with both those conferences. Um, when we talk about the, the kickoff game now sponsored by AFLAC, of course, uh, with that new deal, uh, have you always looked towards keeping teams around this area? Have you have you uh, wanted to branch out, or is, is there a goal to branch out to other conferences, or are you very content to continue to stay with the SEC and ACC? Yeah, primarily? it's a great question, Ryan, and, and you're right. You know, we've looked at, um, you know, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl before we got in the CFP, we had 19, I think, 19 straight sellouts of ACC versus SEC in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And when we got in the CFP, we said, okay, we're not going to see that in the matchup necessarily. So let's 
put that matchup in the kickoff game format. Now, having said that, you know, we'll go out and get an Oregon, you know, like we did last year, who's going to be ranked top ten. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get some other schools to come play, like a Washington, when they're going to be high-ranked. But typically, as you can see there, over the next uh, three years, it'll be SEC-ACC matchup. And both conferences, we've got the number one, number two alumni base, I think, of every ACC-SEC school living in Metro Atlanta. Uh, and so we've got great fans there, easy access through the three interstates that intersect in the middle of downtown Atlanta, and uh, great support from all their fans. So that makes the most sense. And, you know, very honestly, from a business standpoint, you don't get any TV revenues putting on these kickoff games. So you've got to make the payouts by sponsorship and ticket sales. So you better have ticket sales. You better sell out because you need the revenue to make the payoffs. Otherwise, an AD wouldn't move a game from their home site. you got to pay you know people upwards of $5 million to come play in these games. So, um, yeah, the, the fans have been great to us from the ACC and SEC, as have the conference commissioners and uh, the conference offices. So we're blessed to be geographically right in the middle of ACC and SEC territory. And you hit on it just a little bit right there, but, I mean, this changing landscape of college football, and we, of course, could talk about it from the playoff aspect, but from the, the non-conference game aspect where there's conversations in this league and in others about going up to a ninth game, then what do you, how do you handle non-conference schedules? How are you guys uh, handling the, the conversations? How involved are you in those conversations with conferences about the non-conference portion of this and trying to maintain a, a valuable and lucrative non-conference game? Yeah, these games are not easy to put on at the beginning of the season it's kind of a rubik's cube you know you've got to look at uh you know conference schedule non-conference schedules what openings uh ad's have you know what coaches want to play what coaches um and as you said with an 18 uh eight game conference schedule there at least some inventory on the table to to schedule these neutral site games if and when the acc and sec go to nine conference games it's really going to shrink the inventory and make it very difficult to schedule these neutral site games at the beginning of the season. So out of spring meetings, the ACC and SEC said they're staying with eight. Who knows where's that, where that goes in the future? And that's one of the reasons, frankly, where we got out in front and scheduled through 2025 uh, the games that we have on the schedule right now. When you have an event where, or have a year where you have two games instead of one, what what becomes a logistical challenge or something that maybe we wouldn't realize can be challenging about putting on two marquee games in a three-day span? Yeah, you're hitting me right in the heart because I go back to 2020. We had scheduled three games in a week. It had never been done. You know, we always challenge ourselves in constant improvement, continual improvement. How do we get better every year? And so we challenged ourselves to do three Matter of fact, that year we had Auburn, North Carolina scheduled, and which would have been a blockbuster game, um, and we lost all three of them due to COVID. But, um, you know, for us, putting on games, that's what we love to do. We love the hospitality of it in Atlanta. We love the big-time uh, feel of uh, big-time college football games. Our stadium's the best in the country with Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And so uh, it's a little easier, frankly, to do a kickoff game, a neutral site game, because Typically what happens is people come in the night before. You know, they may have a walkthrough at the stadium, probably practiced at home because they're ACC, SEC, they're close by. Come in, maybe through a walkthrough, have their dinner, get up the next day, play the game, and then they go home. So it's not like a bowl week. A bowl week, you've got 
you know, probably 50 events during the week that you have to put on and host people from administration to players to teams to s- staff, etc. So a um, little bit more difficult to put on bowl games, but uh, kickoff games are a little bit easier for us. Outside of, of the football games, y'all do a lot of charity work. And I, I'm yeah. looking here, the, the handout y'all gave us, it's a whole page of, of the charity work y'all do. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. But first, speaking of the charity event, I want to know what it's like to have all of those big-time SEC coaches out on a golf course once yeah. a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've asked two questions, so I'll, I'll take the charity one first. And, Brooks, I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, we were founded uh, 1968, the ninth oldest bowl game in the country, but the first game uh, put together for charity. And so it's part of our mission. So we're the most charitable bowl organization out of 44 bowl organizations. We've given $61 million uh, back to charity since 2002, and uh, it's something that remains very, very uh, important to our DNA and what we do. We use college football for the greater good. Um, in 2019, we gave $20 million to Children's Health Care of Atlanta to create trials to find cures to eradicate childhood cancer. Now we have 12 trials going ongoing with 37 kids in them, and our leukemia trial is moving to a second phase where they've tested it in animals, tested it in adults, and now they're testing it in kids. And hopefully that continues to be successful and works for kids that we can get that to the end zone and maybe get an FDA-approved drug out of it, which would be our goal. So, um, yeah, uh, so that's that's the charity side. On the uh, uh, on the um, the golf side, you know, I like golf. I know a lot of coaches like golf, and so uh, we we created this uh, this uh, Peach Bowl Challenge golf tournament. Uh, we used to have the coaches come in with an alumnus, and uh, I still remember uh, Gus Malzahn coming in with Bo Jackson representing Auburn, and to see Bo Jackson at a golf ball is an experience. Um, but uh, we've now moved to having so many coaches, like the Frank Beamers and the Steve Spurriers, that are retired, we didn't want to leave them out. So we invite the retired coaches back with the current coaches, and we pair them up in a tournament. Um, and Alabama Power, Georgia Power, Southern Company have become our sponsor for that event. And we give $300,000 back to each coach's charity or foundation. So back in their communities, they can have a positive impact as well. Um, it's very, very competitive. I get calls from every coach saying, hey, what's this guy's handicap and what's my <laughs> handicap and who's going to be my teammate and everything. So they're working it. They're recruiting it all, all uh, uh, spring long, right after spring ball. They're, uh, they're getting fired up to play in our, our Peach Bowl Challenge. And it's been very successful. We've given uh, over uh, $9 million away since uh, we started that in 2007. And, um, again, we'll continue to do that uh, for the foreseeable future. Gary, we'll close with this as we navigate this this college football landscape. Uh, We're talking about expanded playoffs, which we're going to get. We're talking about different conferences. Just how do you go about kind of navigating those waters as you continue to uh, market both both uh, this kickoff game with Aflac and uh, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl? And then again, uh, I know this is kind of a two-part question, but with Chick-fil-A, with Aflac, I mean, these are two of the biggest partners in college football. I mean, I see the ads all the time on CBS, ESPN, you name it. And so what does that mean, again, to close with, uh, to have such two big uh, sponsors that truly love the sport? Well, they're very invested in college football, so we're blessed to have them. They're Georgia companies. 
their hearts are in the right uh, mind. They help us with charitable donations. Um, and we're very, very blessed to have both Aflac and Chick-fil-A. Um, on the first question, you know, we want to stay a part of college football. It's part of our heritage in Atlanta and continue to be a big player, whether it be in the, on the neutral site games, in the golf tournament, or in the playoffs moving forward. So uh, that's the goal. And hopefully in the foreseeable future, we're, we're able to do that successfully. Gary Stoken, the president and CEO of the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl with us today on Sports Call. Gary, the time's been greatly appreci- uh, appreciated. We wish you well here in the fall with the kickoff game and, again, with the, uh, the college football playoff and the Peach Bowl throughout the years. We appreciate the time today. Ryan, thanks for uh, having us, Brooks. Good to see you guys. Have a great college football season, and good luck to Auburn. And come see us in Atlanta. We look forward to hosting you. Absolutely look forward to it. Thank you. Gary Stoken with us today on Sports Call. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger app, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brooks Childress, now joined by Tom Peavy for the first time this afternoon. What's up, Hello. Tom? Oh, man, I'm good. Uh, just wrapping up the final day, kind of, you know, there's all the excitement leading up to it, and then the hustle and bustle of the days, and then we get to the show, and it's like, man, everybody's kind of vacated. Yeah. Tearing down stuff, and everybody's leaving, and. The drive now, time shows are the last ones standing. That's right, and and now thinking about a very long drive back home. Yeah, well, let's let's not think about that for well, just a little while. We still got some show left. Uh, yeah, we still got four or five minutes left in this hour number one. So we have time. Well, before we do that, I want to say again, thank you to Gary Stoke, and he's been oh, yeah. uh, one of the nicest people over the years with with his time. I mean, we've been the uh, been fortunate to interview every every year, and what uh, what they do. Uh, not only with charity, which Brooks asked him about there at the end, but obviously putting on a couple of the premier events in the sport. I mean, a premier kickoff game for a number of years and then also one of the most important bowl games uh, really is truly bookending the college football season with one of the best matchups in week one from year to year and then one of the best bowl games at the end of the year. So, again, appreciate Gary Stoken uh, for joining us on the other side of that break. Now let's get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports, and so nice we're going to do it twice. Cam Berry, let's, uh, let's hear the birthdays. Yeah, let's do it. Um, July 20th, 2023, turning 48 today, Ray Allen, former NBA shooting guard, selected fifth overall in the 1996 NBA draft by the Minnesota Timberwolves out of UConn. Let's go Huskies. But was traded on draft night to the Milwaukee Bucks. Also played for the Seattle Supersonics, RIP, missed that franchise, <laughs> Boston Celtics, and Miami Heat, two-time NBA champion, 10-time NBA All-Star, 2005 All-NBA second team, 2001 All-NBA third team, 2003 NBA Sportsmanship Award winner, 2001 NBA three-point contest champion, 1997 NBA All-Rookie second team, 
member of the NBA 75th anniversary team at UConn. Allen was 1996 UPI Player of the Year, 1996 Consensus First Team All-American, 1996 Big East Player of the Year, two-time First Team All-Big East, 1995 USA Basketball Male Athlete of the Year, has jersey number 34 retired by the Huskies, and is a member of the Hall of Fame as a player. You think they regret that trade? The draft night trade? Minnesota? I think they regret what? a lot of things. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Minnesota has a lot of regrets. Yeah. Well, I'm sure uh, in Dalzell, South Carolina, they are still very fond of Ray Allen as he went to Hillcrest High School in Dalzell, South Carolina. Go Wildcats. Wild kitties. That's sure. that's generic. Hillcrest yeah, High School and that's you're the Wildcats. That's why wild kitty. Yeah. Yeah. Turning 27 today is Ben Simmons, current guard slash forward for the Brooklyn Nets, selected first overall in the, the 2000. Brooklyn bench. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> first overall in the 2016 NBA draft by the Philadelphia 76ers out of LSU. Go Tigers. Three-time NBA All-Star, 2020 All-NBA Third Team, two-time NBA All-Defensive First Team, 2018 NBA Rookie of the Year, 2018 NBA All-Rookie First Team, 2020 NBA Steals Leader. At LSU, Simmons was Consensus First Team All-American, 2016 USBWA National Freshman of the Year, 2016 First Team All-SEC, and 2016 SEC Freshman of the Year. Goodness. So he's originally from Australia. And yeah. He- he went to Box Hill Senior Secondary College in Box Hill, Victoria, Australia. No idea what their nicknames are. Nice. But then he transferred to Monteverde Academy yeah. in Florida. Go nice. Eagles. I say I remember when he. I was like, I knew he was at Monteverde for for a little bit. Um, yeah, extremely talented player. Hopefully, well, no, well I want to see him get back. Even though my my Hawks broke him. Turning forty three, Jordan Gross. Uh, Former offensive tackle for the Carolina Panthers, selected eighth overall in the 2003 NFL Draft by the Panthers out of Utah. Let's go Utes. 2008 first team All-Pro, um, three-time Pro Bowler, 2003 PFWA All-Rookie Team, member of the Carolina Panthers Hall of Honor at Utah. Gross was 2002 Consensus All-American and 2002 first team All-Mountain West. Straight out of Fruitland, Idaho. Let's go. go. Tomatoes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> go, tomatoes. go Grizzlies. Fruitland, okay. Grizzlies. The Fruitland Grizzlies. Fruitland, Idaho Grizzlies. Interesting. And those are the birthdays in sports today. Appreciate that, Cam. And uh, appreciate those high school, even if they're not quite tomatoes, uh, they're tough. <laughs> All right, uh, we're about to conclude hour number one. Still a lot of fun ahead for you. We'll come back live for a few minutes when we come back to start hour number two. But also at 4.10, a pre-recorded interview with Cole Kublik of the SEC Network. Also at 4.30, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey, will join us for another pre-recorded interview. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brant Dontry, Brooks Shoulders with you here right now. T.P. Hammock running the board in our Tiger Communications studios. Coming up in just a few minutes, you're going to hear from the SEC Network's Cole Kublik. Also, does, of course, McElroy and Kublik in the Birmingham area on Jocks Radio and then also has the Cube Show podcast. He's a busy man. We'll talk to him in just a few minutes. A little bit later, the commissioner of the SEC coming up here in hour number two, Greg Sankey. Uh, good, good comments, good questions to him. And a little bit later in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll have Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. Starting to wind things down, starting to have the breakdown go around here. Brooks, we were talking off air about some years in which we have been literally the last radio show uh, out and about. I mean, they're even taking away both refrigerators. Thank I goodness mean, we got a last Dr. Peppers before. They yeah. yeah <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I stole a couple. I didn't steal. They're free. Uh, yeah, I, took yeah. a, I took a couple. You've stashed uh, a couple. Later. Stashed a couple. And, uh, again, we've had a really good experience, though, here in Nashville. Let's talk a little bit more substance, though, before we get into our next interview. We talked a little bit earlier in the show about the Ole Miss, South Carolina, and Tennessee momentum, all three of these programs wrapping up media days. I noticed that the semantics of it suggest, and I, I think it makes more sense in hindsight, you know, Auburn had been on this day, on Thursday, for several years in a row. However... It always been in Birmingham or Atlanta. Auburn is a good draw in both those cities. They're the second favorite team in Birmingham behind Alabama. They're the third favorite team, I would say, in Atlanta behind Georgia, and then probably Alabama is still ahead of Auburn there. Uh, and so it's still a big draw, though. In Nashville, look, there's clearly alumni of all the SEC schools around Nashville. There's certainly Auburn alumni in Nashville. I'm aware of several. There's actually Vanderbilt fans here. The, the few the few that exist. <laughs> but the point being is that behind your Alabama and your Georgia contingency, really maybe even more than those schools here, there's going to be a huge Tennessee contingency. That is a, a big draw to be kind of a standalone on the, on the last day, a reason to keep you hanging around, a, a reason to keep crowds here. And so I noticed that going up the escalator this morning, that there were uh, several Tennessee fans there waiting uh, in front of the escalator, just about, again, about the second or third most we saw of the week. And so uh, I would take that to mean, this long spiel, that Auburn's days on, of being on Thursday are, are at least over for the time being because, again, Dallas not going to be uh, a place where they're going to get a big draw. Maybe we'll see something like Texas A&M go on Thursday. Also, by the way, guys, I, I know I said this is stuff substance towards the teams. This is really just being substance towards the process of media days. You know what's also going to change? 
there's going to have to be four teams in four days. Yeah. We've been doing three, four, four, three. Uh, the, the, the schedule could change a little bit, and it will probably have to change a little bit next year once they get into four teams. I mean, I assume it's going to be four teams each day, so they, or unless they jam five into one of the middle days. I mean, it's 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 with 16 teams. Everything, everything even, even something as smaller like this, everything changes when you add, add teams to the league. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if one day they did five and one because the, you, unless you move up the start time on Monday – because they're, they're, you're already cramped on Monday with the, the commissioner not speaking to almost midday, and then you go into you got time for three in the afternoon, and then you go into the rest of it. I, I would not be shocked if they if either they move it up, either they move the commissioner to speak a little bit earlier so they can get that fourth team in on Monday, or you put a fifth team somewhere else and then a, uh, a fourth team on Thursday. And because right now you know everything wrapped up at like what two fifteen two thirty is when yeah. the Tennessee folks started making their way down Radio Row, which means they were done with their rotation uh, through the through the uh, halls of the SEC media days. And so, yeah, there's there's going to be some things changing. Would not, like you said, would not be shocked if Texas A&M is a Thursday. Wouldn't be shocked if uh, Texas is a Thursday. Maybe you know what they may do is they may just shove all three of those on the same day. <laughs> it may be Texas, Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma all on the same day on Thursday to get the biggest crowd there throughout. Because uh, anywhere you go, I think Alabama's going to going to have some people downstairs. I think Georgia's going to have some people downstairs. Uh, where, wherever you go, and, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how they format things going forward with the, the additions of the two new teams. With the teams that we saw today, again, one more time, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and South Carolina, Tom, the, the momentum for these programs has been uh, mostly positive, with really all three to varying degrees, of course, uh, ceiling-wise of what they've accomplished so far. But uh, just what stands out to you about when you're thinking about a Lane Kiffin-led Ole Miss team, Josh Heupel leading Tennessee, and, and Shane Beamer leading South Carolina? Yeah, uh, I mean, what, what Beamer has done at South Carolina, I think, is the more remarkable of all of it, just because you know, South Carolina has just – I mean, they haven't really been much of anything for uh, quite a while. Beamer has kind of come in there and really turned that whole thing around. So uh, a lot of positivity there with old Beamer ball in South Carolina. We'll see if they can continue that. But, I mean, that's been impressive. Uh, Tennessee is, you know, I'm I'm just – I'm really curious, you know, did they find lightning in a bottle last year on a one-time deal like we've seen happen before and they're about to fall back off? Or is this a real thing? So – I, I'm kind of a wait and see on that one, and, and then with Ole Miss, I I don't know, man. I it, it's Ole Miss. I just I, there are times that I like Lane Kiffin. Uh, sure, there's positivity going there, but we talked about it how that that season just fell off. I mean, it just completely fell off, and I still don't think that they have the talent to run with the Alabamas, uh, I, Texas A&M, LSU. They don't have. I don't think they've got the horses to run with them. I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to say I, I, I don't want to say that they can't run with Auburn. I, I feel a little bit better about Auburn's chances in that Ole Miss game, I guess. But uh, I, I don't know. Not really sold on them. So I re- to wrap it up, yeah. I mean, I, I really like what Beamer's done at South Carolina. Uh, it's been very impressive. Tennessee, we'll see. Not sold on Ole Miss. Uh, with even though they do have one of the best players in the conference, one right. of the best players in the country, right? With Quinshawn Jenkins, the, yeah, the running back as a sophomore. What's been interesting about Ole Miss too is that they legitimately still uh, have this fascinating quarterback battle 
the dynamic yeah. of it. And we didn't really get into it with many of our guests this week, and we could have if we had more time. But uh, we obviously wanted to start with the Auburn angle. But Jackson Dart versus Spencer Sanders. There's Walker Howard in there, the high-profile transfer uh, or high-profile recruit that transferred out of LSU. Yeah. And there's just a lot of talent in that room. I, I was searching for quotes about it from Lane Kiffin today. Basically, he just said it was the most talented quarterback room he's been in and sure. and, and that sort of thing, but, but non-committal on a starter, as you would expect at this time. But, you know, quarterback's one of those positions where, yes, I know that coaches say, oh, no, it's great to have multiple great guys. It gives you competition. If your starter goes down or you're – you're you're covered a little bit. Well, how many? I mean, it's not often that a starter goes down and the team doesn't miss a beat. Usually, right. a starter goes down, you're you're greatly impacted. Now, that is more so the fact in the NFL and college. You can get around it. We saw Ohio State do it multiple times in one year. Yeah, with the uh, third year, title with a third stringer. Right, uh, and, and so it can be avoided a little bit better in the in the college game. But still, I think your goal is to find that one guy, and we know yeah. that. The way kids transfer, I mean, it's not long that you hold on to truly good stuff behind it. But that's been an interesting subplot. I don't know if it'll end up benefiting them or hurting them that they've had this this race early in the or in the preseason and that sort of thing. Maybe it makes one of those guys better, but maybe they all kind of just keep looking over their shoulder and they keep seeing the, another talented guy, and maybe they don't play with the confidence they need right. to have. Because Lane Kiffin offenses, you got to make quick decisions. You got to make yeah, plays yeah. quickly and confidently. Well, and, you know, the thing that out of that whole mix that still surprises me is that Jackson Dart is even still around because I figured once they brought in the Sanders and then brought in another one that maybe Jackson Dart kind of Jackson Dart kind of saw the writing on the wall and realized, okay, I might need to go ahead and get on out of here. But he didn't. He stuck around. So, uh, yeah, it's a question to see what's going to happen there. But, uh, again, I mean, with, uh, with Ole Miss and just kind of their program, I, I'm not sold on them. I mean, goodness gracious, they had Eli Manning and – couldn't get to a title game or anything like that, even with Eli Manning. And they've had some other great, you know, in their days when they had Deuce McAllister, and they couldn't get to anything. So, yeah, I mean, they've got some talent there. They're going to definitely win some ball games. Uh, but I, I just I, I just have this thing with Lane Kiffin coach teams and just kind of Ole Miss in general. They're going to win. They'll, they'll win some that they probably shouldn't, and then they'll lose some that they uh, – I'm sorry, they'll win some that they shouldn't, and they'll lose some that they should. Um. So, does that make sense? Am yes. I making sense at all? You're saying that as an yeah. underdog, they will win some games. As yeah. a favorite, they will lose. I was some like games. confusing myself. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that happens often when you get this age. Uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm not sold on them. I, I don't I'm I don't know. I, I think it's just the just kind of the history of Ole Miss and just you know, we've even we even talked about it. Like, there's just some programs there. They're not title teams. They're not going to be title teams no matter how hard you try, and I think Ole Miss is one of those. I mean, they can have some great talent, but they're not going to have the overall talent to be able to be a title contender. They can give people fits. We've seen a you know so-so Ole Miss teams knock off Alabama. So, yeah, I mean, they can surprise some folks, but, I mean, as far as them, like, really making a serious run at the, at the top right now, not buying it until I see it. We're going to go to our first time out here of hour number two on the other side of this break. Cole Kublick of the SEC Network will join us. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call from Nashville, Tennessee, SEC Media Days 2023. Cole Kublick is next.
Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry here on Radio Row here in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, we're pleased to be joined by the SEC Networks and the co-hosts of McElroy and Kublik. Cole Kublik joining us today on Sports Call. Cole, the time is greatly appreciated. How has Nashville been? How's Media Day's week been for you? It's been good. It's been fun. I feel like Nashville's been a good venue. Uh, It doesn't feel too claustrophobic, kind of like the first year in Atlanta did. Uh, obviously, a lot of people heading over to Broadway, proximity is close, enjoying that. I'm not a big live music guy, so it's kind of not really for me. But um, it's been good. It's been fun. It's been lo- like low-key, no real drama from anybody, but Lane's here today, so you never know. Uh, you, you never know, indeed. And, and look, I know, Cole, that uh, we're, we're moving media days all around now. We were comfortable in Birmingham for a long time, but moving all, all the way around. Do you like it moving around now? Well, no, I live in Homewood, so I would like it to be. I would like it to be at the Galleria, so I can see my wife and kids every night. Um, I don't really like being away from home for four or five days if I don't have to. And I think, I think too, the fans in in Birmingham know how to act. Like they know how to take advantage of it. That when you move it, it's probably going to be hard for people to get used to it and understand it. But you also take it to different places. You make people more aware of it. Like there was a local TV station from Nashville here this morning that probably wouldn't have talked about it if it was in Birmingham. So. You get different coverage in different places from entities that are important. And so that I fully understand why Greg Sankey in the league wants to do it. But if it were me, no, man, keep it at Hoover. I can just drive over there in the morning, drive home, take a nap, drive back over and do stuff in the afternoon, and, and it's easy. Uh, sounds 100% fair to me. Uh, Cole, when we look at Auburn this offseason, hiring Hugh Freeze back in December, and then, of course, trying to build the momentum they are recruiting-wise, we're very active in the transfer portal. What do you think of the offseason Auburn's had? I think Hugh has has leaped over the first couple of hurdles, obstacles, speed bumps, whatever you wanted to call them, with flying colors. Uh, he had to upgrade the roster. He had to upgrade the talent and. He went and got the best quarterback on the team. He got the best center on the team. He got the best tackle on the team, maybe the best two tackles on the team. Uh, He got other offensive linemen that will contribute and help. He got the best nose guard on the team, probably the two best receivers on the team, maybe the two best linebackers on the team, at least one of the best linebackers on the team. Half the starters of of the first 22 will most likely be guys they've gotten out of the portal. Uh, and I think they'll get some legit playmakers. Like, I think Rivaldo Fairweather is going to be able to make plays. I think Jair Shorter is going to be able to make plays. Brian Batte won't start, but he'll be a valuable piece of this football team. You can run some two-back with him. They'll throw it to him out of the backfield. He'll help in the return game. Great locker room guy that they bring in as well. So he, he's, he's changed that part. Now comes the next obstacle. It's, it's organizing, it's instructing, and educating, and then once you play, it will become motivating. So he still has the bigger obstacles ahead, but I think he knows that, and I think that's why he's trying to temper expectations a little bit. We, Everybody pees their pants about the portal, everyone. Like, a kid goes in the portal, oh, God, we want that guy. Well, then you look into it, it's like, he has two starts. 
Like, why do you want him? Well, it's because he's in the portal. Like, literally, a lot of people just want a guy because he's in the portal. They also got the best edge rusher on the roster out of App State, Jalen McLeod. So, like, they've done an amazing job there. And I think he put a good staff together before that. But it, it doesn't mean it's always going to work. That's a lot of new, man. Like, a lot of new. And football players don't always like new. We're creatures of habit. So, getting everyone on the same page, building some continuity, that's going to be tough. That's where leadership has to play in. Some of the guys have to find ways to do it on their own. But he's also had some magic in year ones when you go back to Ole Miss, Arkansas State, Liberty. The expectations should be rising because of what they've done. It's just it shouldn't get too out of whack just yet because it's a whole lot of new in a league that top to bottom is really good. I mean, you, you, you guys tell me who you're most confident in in, in the, how the West is going to finish. Because you can flip-flop Alabama LSU, you can make a discussion for A&M, but after that I can give you about an even discussion for or against Arkansas, Auburn, State, Ole Miss. Like there's not a ton of difference in all those teams. And it's not super different in the East. Like I think Kentucky's going to be pretty good. Tennessee's going to be really good. Missouri may be dangerous if they get quarterback figured out. You know, I think Clark is building Vanderbilt the right way. Are they ready to compete every week? No, but who had them winning five last year? We were debating if they'd get to three. So I do think in South Carolina won eight. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Their quarterback's coming back, and they got the best receiver in the league. So the league is deep, man. It's uh, it's going to be tough to win a lot of games in the SEC this year, even if you're Georgia, LSU, or Alabama. Cole, talk a little bit about the restructuring of the offensive line room that Hugh Freeze has done at Auburn. It's a position that's struggled on the plains for a couple of years now, six or seven years. It's yeah. been something of a weakness, and it seems like that's the first thing that Hugh Freeze did when he got in there was entirely rebuild that room. No, he knew. I've had the conversation with him. It was offensive line and wide receiver. It, it had to change immediately. And I think Dylan Wade is, is a stud. I think Dylan Wade's an SEC tackle right now. Uh, Davion Miller might need a little more time. You know, he's coming from Juco. He might not be ready to fit in. Gunnar Britton can probably do it. I think he may be better suited at guard, but he's a guy that's going to help no matter what. And then you get a center from ECU that I think I think Avery comes in and starts and I think is, is a guy that can be a good player right now. you got one guard coming back that's a, that's a killer, man. And, like, he's going to play, he's going to start, and he's going to help. But he had to get depth. He had to get front-line starters. He had to get guys that could give them more reps in practice, and he did it. It's not just bringing in a guy or two who's really good. He brought in numbers, which had to happen also. And the main reason that had to happen is one of the biggest problems in college football is you may have a guy who's not playing well, but if the guy behind him is worse, you're in a bad place. And I think Auburn's been in that place from an offensive line perspective for a while now. There have been guys that just hadn't been playing good football, but nobody's taking them out because there's nobody else to put in. And it, there should not be a world – where you continue to get guys from much lower levels of football that can come in and start at one position. And that's been the case for the Auburn offensive line for years. And he went out and got Jake Thornton, who I think is going to be a big help and a big addition to that group because Jake's a really good offensive line coach. I, I don't know why anyone wouldn't get rid of him, but he, he will do a really good job for Hugh Freeze. When we look at Auburn's schedule this year, outside of the two big rivalries against Alabama and Georgia, what is the most important game in your mind, whether it's to see progress in year one or to set the tone for year one? I'm kind of, I've, I've kind of said, I said it on my podcast um, at Cube Show 61 on YouTube, by the way, if you want to go subscribe to that. Uh, I think that A&M game is massive. And honestly, I don't even really think it's just winning or losing. It's what you guys just talked about with the offensive line. Like, that's one of the more active, talented defensive lines in the country. So, I just want to see how they hold up against that group. I want to see, in College Station, 
if that group can just be formidable. And if they look pretty good or they don't get dominated, then I think we can begin to shift our expectation for what Auburn, that offense, and that offensive line will be the rest of the way. Now, that the defense will get tested too because Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad can play. Uh, Connor Wigman's going to be a good quarterback. And by the way, their offensive line might be pretty good. Like, Layden Robinson started a bunch of games. Reuben Fatherly started a bunch of games. Bryce Foster started a bunch of games. So they'll be tested in a lot of areas. But the big one is that Auburn offensive line against one of the more talented defensive lines in college football. Let's see how you hold up there early. And if it looks pretty good, and let's say they, they drop the game 24-21, 24-17, and it's like, but hey, the offensive line was good. Like, they ran the ball. It's just couple turnovers or aiming made big plays, whatever. Now I think you can sit there and say, holy hell, they can build on that, man. Like, it, things could look pretty good here in a couple weeks. You were at the Auburn-Texas A&M game last year. We saw you interviewing Cadillac coming out of the tunnel. Uh, the stadium was electric. Have you ever seen the stadium like that? It, it, it just... It's had moments for sure, but it just felt different for that entire game for me. It felt different for a lot of reasons, mainly because we had was it two, three-win football teams coming into that game? And, and I remember the, one of the cooler parts about it is, um, you know, we stayed close to campus, and Tom and Jordan were like, hey, you know, let's leave at 415. I was like, no, I'm going to walk because I just wanted to see it, and I couldn't tell you the last time I walked through campus on a game day because we usually stay far away, and we didn't stay far away this time. And I was like, I'm hearing about people coming. I'm hearing about the energy. I just want to see it. I want to feel it. And that was really cool, just to see how many people were out that early in the day. And then when I got in, I went in early, and, and Damon, who's coaching at A&M, he does his, like, lap around the field, and he walks up to me, and the student section was basically full. Now, this is, you know, two and a half hours before kick. And he's like, damn, Cube, the student section's full? I was like, D.C., it's, they're going to be packed tonight. Like, it's, it's going to be crazy. And I don't think he knew what to expect. And just then you kind of began to get the feeling. And, like, Tom and Jordan, I had a lot of conversations about, is this real? Uh, John Cohen and I were standing on the sideline. He's like, can you believe this is happening? And I was just like, when it's there, when it's Auburn being Auburn, it's pretty damn special. And have I felt it that way? Maybe not because I'm not sure what I expected. Like, I've been in some Iron Bowls that have been pretty amazing. But we expected it to be that. Um you know, I've been on, I've been in a couple of Tiger walks for some big games where, like that '97 Alabama Tiger walk was pretty pretty incredible. I mean, we we could clinch the West that day. Like that was that was awesome. Um, but that one was special for different reasons. Like I think that was it needed to be special more than some of those other games. If that makes sense, like it needed to find a new life to help re-energize a lot of different things, and it did that. And those players and those coaches, specifically Carnell, they were a big part of why that happened. Talking to Cole Kublik today on Sports Call. Last one for you, Cole, and then we'll let you go. With the eight-game versus nine-game debate in the SEC schedule-wise, going to go with eight games again in 2024, eliminate the divisions, and then figure it out from there. As someone that played at Auburn, how important is it for Auburn? Because we've gotten mixed uh, mixed reviews on this for various people we've talked about. Some people don't really care to keep it. Some people uh, really want it to stay. That Auburn and Georgia game, that one would be the one that could be in some peril long term. Obviously, you'd still play it every other year with yeah. most models. But how important is it to keep that game alongside the Iron Bowl? We know we'll keep the Iron Bowl, but just what about that Auburn-Georgia game? I think it's important. I think it's critical. But you know, I think we should probably be prepared not to have it every year. 
Um, I think you go to nine for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I, I don't think you rush to nine, though, because I think nine is Greg Sankey's trump card. I think that's his that's his last play, and you know that's his like that's his last few chips on the table to, to sort of have that last chance to you know, really strengthen your bankroll. Um, the inventory of the league skyrockets when he makes that decision. So to do that and not have extra financial gain from that would be irresponsible. But I think rivalries make college football. And I think when we talk about rivalries, we get a little bit consumed with Auburn, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, Army, Navy, Ohio State, Penn State. To me, rivalries are Auburn, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU, Auburn, Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas. Like, those are rivalry games. We don't, we don't sell them. We don't talk about them. They don't have cute names or trophies. Well, some of them do, like A&M and South Carolina have tried to make that something with the Governor's Cup or whatever the hell it is. Like we, we try to make some of them more than they are, but like those those games have meaning because we've always had them, and you can you have reference points. I think rivalries have greater reference points than other games. So when we when Auburn plays Arkansas, I remember Double Duty Davenport catching like eight balls for two hundred ten yards and three touchdowns. Like I remember seemingly a running back named Fred something going for 200 yards at 11 or 11.30 for like seven straight years. Like it just, who is Fred Talley? Like who is Fred, or where are these Freds coming from? Like those are the things that you remember and you, and you always say, well, you know what, we'll get them next year. Or they got to come to our place next year. You know, or Joe Lee Dunn's defense is just a terror, but you know you get to play them again next year and you get to try to get them back. That back and forth, the reference points of, seeing what, you know, Patrick Peterson or Booger McFarland did or Rondell Mealy or Cecil Collins did, you can counter with what Carlos Dansby or Carnell Williams did. So I think getting away from that a little bit, and, and maybe it'll just be separated a little bit more and it'll still be as cool, and I just don't know that. But, like, I don't view Tennessee that way. There have been some great Auburn-Tennessee games. Like, I, I, was, I was working for CSS doing the replay when, when Ronnie Brown, you know, pumped the dude's helmet off on the goal line. Like, I remember that, but... I remember getting beat a lot by Florida, but that doesn't mean the next time Auburn plays Florida that all of a sudden I'm going to remember Damon Duvall and the you know, last second field goal that went like 11 yards to the right and we won the game. Like It wasn't every year, so it lost a little bit of luster along the way. So for me, rivalries are more than just one or two games a year. They've been a lot more games than that. And then for other teams like Georgia, it's Georgia Tech. For Florida, it's Florida State. I just think it's having games on an annual basis means a lot because the memory that comes with it, the reference points that always stick with it, that's what gives it extra emotional meaning. And that, that's impactful. And I think we will lose a little bit of that. Cole, certainly appreciate the time today. I know you're a very busy na- uh, man with the Cube Show pod, the, the McElroy and Cube Show, and all the SEC Network ESPN responsibilities. But, again, really appreciate the time. I look forward to watching it and catching up with you down the line. I appreciate you guys having me. Always good being on in Auburn. Absolutely. Cole Kublik joining us today on Sports Call. That was Cole Kublik earlier today on Sports Call. Again, appreciate Cole uh, for joining us. Again, he's very busy with the podcast, the radio show on jocks, 
uh, in Birmingham with Greg McElroy, and then, of course, all of his duties that he's going to have uh, with the SEC Network covering games and that sort of thing this fall. But, again, appreciate former Auburn Tiger Cole Kubelik for joining us today on the program. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we have another fine interview for you. The commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey, will join us as Commissioner Sankey sat down with us a little bit earlier this week. You'll hear his comments right after this timeout. Want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. Let's get back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334 887 3401 or toll free at 1 888 9 Tiger 9. Sports Call, SEC Media Days 2023 from Nashville, Tennessee. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Brant Daughtry with me here today. And now we're pleased to be joined by the Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Commissioner Greg Sankey. Uh, Commissioner, it's always great to be with you here uh, at SEC Media Days. When I, when I think about this week for you, I think about the busy schedules that you keep. Is this kind of a reprieve from your busy schedule is this would you define this as one of the busier weeks for you one of the the lighter weeks what is this no it's it's a busy week and in fact the week leading in even if i'm away is a busy week because i'm trying to to i'm working on my remarks and my my monday remarks you know you're going to be on tv you're going to be in a room full of people that can ask you questions about what you say and, and that takes a lot of time so it is a busy few weeks in the summer um and you know these days go from about 7 a.m to about 11 p.m uh that's so far what are we on wednesday so monday tuesday i've hit that mark both days and it looks like it'll happen again yeah, okay, so I can imagine, again, long long days for sure. Let's talk about some of these big topics that are dominating college football and the conference. Let's start with NIL. Obviously, that's something that every conference is dealing with and, and big uh, discussions about it. I want to ask a question that I don't really haven't heard much about, and that is the timeline of all this. And I know you can't really put a firm timeline on something that, that's still having to be planned and, and, and a lot of meetings about, but what in your mind would be an ideal timeline for, for trying to come up with legislation either at the national level or uh, just m- maybe more aligned on the local levels? Just what would be a timeline for that? Well, the reality is there are going to be competing timelines, so there's not one particular timeline. And the way I describe the work is there are five fields of play involved. One is Congress, and I talked uh, on, on Monday in my opening remarks about the need for Congress to provide national standards, national consistency, and that given the variety of issues, uh, that's a role that only Congress can play. Congress gets to decide that timeline. So I can set meetings, I can go engage in conversation, uh, but the, the, the committee process, the legislative process, um, is, is a timeline that can change until you're at the very end. Uh, the second is we have litigation involving these issues. Um, that 
that timeline set by the courts. There are things that happen in 23. There's work that going on right now for um, preparation and positioning. You then have states, and we're generally outside of legislative sessions, but a state can call a special special legislative session, and then you have a whole different timeline put upon you. The, the two other fields of play are, are the NCA and the conference, and so the conference um, has had conversations really dating back to last May, May of 22, more specifically in March of 23, about should we set our own standards and then work with our states to conform state laws to those standards. Uh, we'll meet again through the late summer and fall. Uh, I, I don't know that I could put a particular timeline. Everybody will point to Destin. We could act sooner if there was an interest and the ability to pursue that solution. And then the NCA has sent out recently a memo trying to provide guidance. Uh, the NCA Board of Directors meets uh, typically in early August, and I know we'll have an agenda item related to name, image, and likeness policies. And so that's an entirely separate timeline. Uh, You combine that, and you'd like to have a a common approach defined uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, But just the the complexities of dealing with those five fields of play limits the ability to say we're going to have this done by November. And, And that's the reality we have to deal with. But the responsibility is we have to work on each of those five fields of play every day. Commissioner, you mentioned in your opening remarks that you want to regulate NIL without limiting the opportunities for these kids. In your words, what is the difference between regulation and limitation? Well, right now, if you're um, engaged in NIL activity, um, you have no idea what standards the representative who may be matching you up has to meet. Uh, so you may have an opportunity, it seems, in that moment, but you could be committing yourself to a contract that extends well beyond the time of your athletics participation. And what may seem like a lot of money for a three-star recruit coming out of high school, if they've committed well beyond their athletics experience and they're an NBA or an NFL draft pick or a Major League Baseball draft pick who develops or a WNBA draft pick, may seem like a really bad deal. And you've actually seen some reference to those sorts of deals with with players over the past few years, even outside of the name like So I would say, first of all, some kind of structure that provides protection from the participant, or for the participant, that being a student-athlete. So that's one. The second is uh, there's no standards around the agreements that are signed. Um, There's no standards around the amount of money that an NIL rep or agent can take from a student-athlete. Um, in the professional realm, there are a certain set of standards. Uh, I think those would help young people. That doesn't limit their ability. Uh, I, I do think it's it's necessary to define name, image, and likeness activity rather than just allowing inducements and, and external pay for play where there's no real name, image, and likeness activity. So as, as I've understood and as NIL was originally introduced, it is a person representing a business for business purposes. It's a transaction that's economically justifiable for, for the business and worth the individual's time. Uh, that's very different than, than overpaying for charitable uh, appearances that aren't market-based. And, and that's not about taking away opportunities. That's just about defining a system that was at least at some point understood to exist 
and has gone well outside those boundaries because of the lack of oversight provided by states that have enacted state laws to facilitate name, image, and likeness activity. Commissioner, we, we talked to John McDade yesterday, uh, and you know, you, there's a couple new new rules coming into play this year for for the SEC and college football. What went into it specifically the decision to you know take take the the I don't want to say a free timeout, but the clock stopping after the first down. What type of conversations were had with going into that decision? Uh, we've spent in the SEC a few years talking about not just the length of games, but the the continuity within a game. We've accepted you're going to have TV advertising. We've created, actually with some folks in Auburn, our, our TV timeout clocks with people, you know, oh, that's another 10-minute set of ads. No, it's about two and a half minutes, and we can all tolerate that. Um, we've seen changes in the game. So college football historically was a running game. Now, that's old history, and the rules are based on a running game. In fact, if you go back and read about the onset of the passing game in the late 1800s, really early 1900s, the rules did not facilitate passing. We still deal with some of that legacy. And as passing increases and incomplete passes are more part of the game and that clock stoppage occurs, what are adjustments that can be made to keep the flow of the game and to normalize the experience? So I don't think we're concerned about a game that's 315, 320 in length. People come to attend. Our games are compelling on TV. But when that game migrates up to you know, north of 200 plays and you're four-plus hours and it's still a regulation game, uh, part of the motivation is to normalize, not to have such a spread in the variance of the, of the, the length of games and number of plays. People can still hurry up, um, but though these tweaks will take a few plays out of the game. They'll keep the game moving, um, and as part of an effort to continue to monitor both duration of the game, overall length, having that more consistent, the number of plays, and then having continuity of play throughout the, the time of the game. Lastly, Commissioner, we just want to finish with this. Obviously, the spring meetings in Destin uh, came and went with with no permanent model for eight versus nine games. What are the types of things that, that teams and, and schools are, are worried about when trying to uh, uh, land on which side of the fence between eight and nine games? Well, people at the schools could, could speak to that. I think generally the issues we've looked at are, you know, at a really backroom-based level, how do you break ties with the single-division format? And the single-division format's based around balance and equity so that we have a, a schedule balance where people are rotating through and then competitive equity, which if you look at the strength of schedule disparity in our announced 24 season, it's a much more narrow bandwidth than existed in the East-West divisional format. Um, the college football playoff is changing and is going to change, and so there's interest in thinking through, and we've done predictive analytics on if you play eight or nine games um, relative to our strength of schedule, what might that may mean? Really incremental access differentials between eight or nine games. What does it mean for bowl eligibility? So across all 16 of our programs, we have those who are very much focused on earning that sixth total win and having regular access to bowl games. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, working with our TV partner is a piece of it. Honoring longstanding rivalries or real key games of passion is important. And at Auburn, you have uh, the Iron Bowl and you have the, the game with Georgia that are really important rivalries. But there are others that have existed across the league. Um, and some that have been disrupted. The question, will those be played annually? 
or on uh, a, a biannual basis every other year. That's really front and center. Uh, the number of, of those annual games would vary. It's one if we play eight or potentially three if we play nine games. Um, and then being attentive to what others are doing. Those are just some of the factors and a lot of the factors that are involved in the conversation. Commissioner Sankey, we certainly appreciate the time today. We look forward to seeing you on the Plains at some point this fall. And, again, good luck with the rest of the media days and all the vast issues here in, in college sports right now. Well, thank you for being part of it. It's uh, unique and a unique opportunity to be in Nashville, and we appreciate the interest in conversation. As Commissioner Greg Sankey, Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, with us today on Sports Call. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Dauntry with you live here. SEC Media Days 2023 in Nashville starting to wind down. A lot of production being uh, taken down around us, some wires and uh, a bunch of stages and that sort of thing. You can tell that we are... In the waning moments of Media Days 2023, again, we appreciate the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, for joining us there. Glad we got to ask him about some stuff like NIL and about the eight-game, nine-game schedule. I mean, straight out of uh, out of his mouth. And, uh, you know, that, that is something that we certainly appreciate the opportunity to do. Uh, some of these subjects, I mean, they're going to be around for a while. I mean, NIL has calmed down in some ways amongst, you know, the initial anger of how it was being being done. However, until there is something more national, more uh, unified at the local level, there's still going to be some inequities in how states do it. There's still going to be uh, some confusion on, on how certain things are allowed and that sort of thing. Uh, and then so, so the NIL debate and discussion will go on. And even once they set something in place, we're still going to be a period of time where we're breaking down how it's working, how it's, uh, how it's working out in college football and college athletics. And then with the eight-game versus nine-game debate, I mean, that is something where clearly uh, it's going to go on at least in the 2024 uh, and with the eight-game schedule. We'll see if they ultimately decide beforehand. I think when you talk to the various people we've talked to, although Commissioner Sankey cites other reasons, which are certainly valid, I think you talk to the Brandon Marcellos of the world, and they'll tell you it's about trying to get more money. At the end of the day, when you increase inventory, which is fair, I mean, you're going to give the network more games. You expect more moolah in return. And so until that happens, look, if the the Disney – if the ESPN family of networks and that sort of thing come up tomorrow and say, you know what, we're down. Here's an extra so-and-so million dollars. Sure, I, you know, I think we'll go ahead and start thinking about nine games for 2025. But uh, if we get into 2024, we get to that season, the playoffs, still no word from ESPN. This could continue 
uh, to drag on. Ultimately, I think we'll get to nine games, and that's uh, something that I think is also the sentiment. But just uh, great to catch up with the commissioner there and, again, hear his his thoughts with, with all these big topics that we talk about all the time. Yeah, like you said, we kind of got it straight from the horse's mouth there. While he did not say uh, word for word, I want nine games, he, he did very much put it on the table that – there would be an advantage to it. And uh, I think that that is where we're headed. And like you said, it all does come back down to money at the end of the day. This is a business. The goal is to make money. And if you're giving ESPN a better product, you expect better payment for it. Uh, It's just good economics, right? So I I think we're headed for nine games. I think we're headed for the SEC making a ton of money off of nine games. And uh, I think that's the correct decision. And I think it's the best way we can protect – uh, these traditional rivalries that we've talked about. Yeah, I think most folks want nine games. Uh, they just weren't able to have it this year uh, out of necessity. And, of course, you know, we talked about this at the very beginning about the coaches kind of seeming tight-lipped on it. I it almost makes me kind of wonder if they would have been told, like, hey, just keep that, you know, let's not mention that. Let's don't talk about it. You know, be happy with eight right now. We'll see what happens in the future. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think nine will eventually happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, eight is what it is right now. But surely surely to goodness, somebody will come around and have the money to make that night. But, you see, the thing is, is on the other side of it, you, you look at it, we've heard it all week, you've got the, the mid-tier to bottom tier of the SEC coaches that are going to look at that ninth game and say, hey, I'm making a bowl game with eight games. Right. What if you stick me with Alabama? I lose this year, and I'm fired. And yeah. so you're, you're looking at that. You're looking at job security when it comes to that ninth game. And, and you know, we, we had a, a couple, um, you know, a couple differentiating opinions this week about rivalry games where some game, you, know, you look at back in the history of college football, and there are rivalries that have gone by the wayside because of conference expansion and moving around and uh, teams jumping around and different TV deals and all this other stuff. And, and it, it, it's part of the sport a little bit. You, you hate to see it go, right. uh, but, you know, it, 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 it's the motion. Everything kind of continues to carry on, carry forward uh, with time, and it, it's, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. I can very much see it going either way. I think it was already a, a couple of media days ago where Greg Sankey first said the times they are a change, and I think they're going to continue a change in, uh, as we go through the next several years and we go through the different scheduling uh, balances and we go through the different NIL uh, balance checks and balances as well. We are out of time for hour number two. However, stay tuned. A lot more fun in hour number three, including an interview with Chris Gordy locked on SEC. That one coming up about 510 or 515. Stay tuned. A lot more sports call ahead after this timeout. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. 
To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Again, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Cam Berry, Tom Peavy with you here live from SEC Media Days 2023 in Nashville, Tennessee. Just a couple minutes, you'll hear from Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC as uh, we start to wind things down. And, again, uh, today was Ole Miss, South Carolina, and Tennessee Day. Auburn was back on Tuesday. And, again, uh, final final hour here of the program uh, with just a couple minutes left here at the Chris Gordy interview. Uh, and, again, guys, it's been a lot of fun here in Nashville as we, we start to wind it down a little bit. But uh, we're really excited with the array of, ga- uh, of guests we got yeah. this week. So here's the question I have kind of for, for all of you guys. Are you ready to get back home and, and sleep in your own bed? And Yes. Yeah. I like traveling, but right. once I know the – once I see the finish line, let's go ahead and get to the finish line. Gotcha. Okay. Like if, 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 if you told me this could keep extending, extending on Wednesday, we're like, actually, we're going to add another day of media. I've been like, fine. If, if logistics could have been ironed out, you'd be fine. Right. But now that we got to Thursday, now that I'm, I'm seeing – the move that I've got this weekend and, and getting back oh, to town. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back now. I'll be the outlier. I, I, I've, I've missed my wife and the cat, <laughs> but I, I have not missed the cat walking across me at 3 a.m. No. And so I am, I'm going to be, I'm excited to get back to see them, but when it comes to sleep time, not excited that I get a cat to walk across right. me again tonight. Let's see, and I, my thing is, you know, trying to get back. Yeah, it's it's nice to get back home, get back into a normal schedule of things. But you know, I've got to turn around tomorrow. I've got to deal with my truck that's in the shop, get a rental car taken back, figure that out, and then turn right around and work about a fifteen-hour shift at Fat Daddy. So I'm like, oh man, I could use one more day in Nashville just to <laughs> just to do nothing and relax because I, I know it. It's about to get real as soon as I get back home. I, I will say this. I will miss the things that were work-related but were not work. Like, I really loved going to the Nashville Sounds game. Uh, Brooks Ryan and I had a lot of fun doing that. And I really loved the media events that we got to go to. It was really cool wanting the SEC wanting, the SEC wanting me to say nice things about them. So I will do that. Thank you, SEC, for putting on those events. They were very cool. Uh, and with all that said, uh, you know, it just – I've had a lot of fun, but like you said, I'm ready to get back, sleep in my own bed, um, not be in an Airbnb with two other men. Uh, <laughs> hey, you had your own room. Yeah, yeah, I did, I did have my own room. It was very nice. Yeah, that's, that's why I always get my own hotel for these things. And you had your own room and your own bathroom. Right? I did. So I did. And, and you know what? For the first time in a decade and a half, I got to watch Fear Factor, so that was fun. And was Fear Factor was Fear Factor for you? It was not a factor for me. Amen. We're going to go to our next timeout of the show when we come back. Going to be joined by Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, the host of the Locked On SEC podcast. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call live on Radio Row, Tiger 95.9.
tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. SEC Media Days, Radio Row 2023 here in Nashville. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you. And now we're pleased to be joined by the host of the Locked On SEC podcast, Chris Gordy. Kind enough to give us some time this week. Chris, how are you, my friend? I'm good, guys. This is, uh, look, it's, once we get to this week every year, it's like, all right, football season's almost here. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot to talk about, obviously. Uh, today on Radio Row, we're going to have Auburn and Georgia coming up and amongst some others. And let's start with Auburn, Chris, and Hugh Freeze coming into the fold not too long ago. Auburn had to replace another head coach in Gus Malzahn that some see a lot of comparisons with with Hugh Freeze. Do you see some of those comparisons, or do you think that Freeze is maybe a little bit more different than he gets credit for? Um I mean, I think he's done a good job of hitting the ground running in terms of, uh, you know, I thought he did a good job with the recruiting class, obviously hitting up the transfer portal. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, you know, like, you're going to need an Auburn roster for the, for the first game of the season. Like, you're going to go, who's 68? Who's 72? Like, you're, there's just going to be so many new guys that you, you know, maybe aren't familiar with. So I, I think he's really done a good job hitting the ground running. I think, you know, the thought is – at least a lot of Auburn fans I've talked to is, okay, this is kind of a, a transition year. Like, I don't think a lot of people are expecting them to win the West or whatever, but I think if everything goes well, if Peyton Thornton is, is that dude and the O-line protects and they find some receivers and the defense plays well, I think they can, you know, we, we could look back at the end of the season and go, okay, they're ahead of schedule. So, um, but all things considered, I think, you know, six, six and six would be disappointing. I think, uh, most Auburn fans are looking at, say, seven to eight wins, I think would be, you know, pretty realistic just based on how the schedule shapes up. So, um, but yeah, I think I think Hugh's done a great job already, you know, um, especially bringing in all the transfers he did. And kudos to him, that them for going through the spring, looking at Robbie Asher, looking at TJ Finley and all the guys he had on the roster and going, this isn't good enough. We, we got to do better. And uh, going and getting Pey- Peyton Thorne. And um, look, if, if everybody stays healthy, I think this could be a really good team. With NIL now and the, and the transfer portal and just the way that rosters can change so significantly and so quickly, what is the proper expectation level as you progress through the timeline? Because we know that Hugh Freeze has talked about, well, the most important recruiting classes for us are 24 and 25, but even those guys, they'll take a year or two right. to make a big impact. What, in your mind, talking years-wise, what is the proper level of time to wait for someone that's trying to progress up towards a championship-level program? Um, I mean, I always said three years. Um you know, that's typically what it what it takes to come in, put your stamp on a program, recruit well. But the transfer portal's changed all that. Um, you know, Brian, that, that there's a reason Brian Kelly was able to win the SEC West in year one. It was primarily because of the, the transfer portal and a lot of the pieces they brought in. And, uh, you know, and same thing with him. You know, they, they looked at the quarterbacks and, you know, they had Miles Brennan at the time and they said this isn't good enough. They went and got Jaden Daniels in the portal and, you know, he turned out to be great and, you know, he's... Expect to be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC this year. So, 
Yeah, I think the timeline, the transfer portal has changed the traditional timeline, but if we're still talking about recruiting guys, developing your own, and turning them into studs, you know, take a full recruiting class or two and turn them into studs, I, I still think the timeline is within three years. But who has patience for that anymore? I mean, we're, we're expanding the SEC soon. We're, the, the college football playoff is, is expanding. Fans are going to say, we don't want to have three years to sit around and wait for you to develop. Let's go win now. Chris, when you look at, you know, Auburn went out and got a quarterback in the portal after spring ball. So did Alabama. But there's there's a difference between the, the, the look of it. Everyone says, oh, you know, Alabama's in trouble. But when you uh, going out and getting a quarterback after spring, but when you look at Auburn, everyone's like, oh, this is the right move. you got to go get someone. What, why do you think there's a big difference between those two moves? Because we trust we, – we have enough of a track record to trust Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery and – I think a lot of us are still maybe hesitant on Tommy Reese because he is still so young and we don't know. You know, he's not like a proven, proven OC mm-hmm. yet. I mean, you know, he did fine at Notre Dame. But, like, I think that's where it kind of comes from. I think if, if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, and let's say, you know, it was Hugh at Alabama, I think we would say, oh, you, you know, Hugh didn't, you know, he didn't believe in Milrow or Simpson and so he went and got Buckner. Um, I think we need to caution a little bit, though. A lot of people are, are very – are talking so much down on Alabama because of that. And I think we need to take a step back and realize Ty Simpson's a very good quarterback. Jalen Milrow's a very good quarterback. You could do a lot worse than those guys. I think somehow it's kind of turned into this, like, oh, they don't even know who their quarterback is, so they're going to suck. It's still going to be Alabama. They still have a lot of talent on that roster. And uh, last time I checked, Saban's still a pretty good coach. So, um, you know, I just – I think the dynamic, though, is trust in Hugh. I mean, look at what he's – done every you know just about every stop he's been at he's been able to develop a quarterback you know Malik Willis was fantastic at Liberty and I think people are kind of making those parallels and when you watch the film on Peyton Thorne man he had some nice games at Michigan State so it's not like you're bringing in some dude who has started three games and you don't really know what he is um you know Tyler Buckner doesn't have a whole huge sample size of of playing time with with injuries he battled and all that so uh yeah I just I think that's why we're a little bit more optimistic on Thorne and, and, and Auburn. And I also think expectations, right? Like, Auburn, the expectations are whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you, you take what you get this year. Alabama, they don't. They never have those kind of years. Every year is championship or bust. And if you lose two games and you don't win the SEC, it's a bust of a season. And uh, God help Nick, if he does that a second straight year, they're going to be calling for his head. Talking to Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast today on Sports Call. And Chris, when we're talking about the top of the league, there's been, I don't want to say a, a huge shift because it's not like Alabama's fallen off the face of the earth, but two straight national championships for Georgia. You had LSU in Tiger Stadium last year beat Alabama and go to the title game in year one. How do you assess those three teams coming into this year? Because I know that there is some, there's going to be some votes for LSU and Alabama in the West. There's not going to be any votes for anyone else in the East but for Georgia. So how do you rank those three teams coming into this year? I think, um, full disclosure, I went to LSU, <clears throat> but I'm not playing Homer here. I, I, I call it like I see it. I'll say it when they suck. I, was, I agreed when they needed to fire Rozier on. Um, I think LSU is they, – they bring continuity, and that's something that nobody else in the SEC really has. Look around the SEC, guys. Name me a team that is bringing back their starting quarterback and their offensive coordinator. Run, I was running through the teams yesterday. There's not a lot. Either, either if you're bringing back a starter from last year, you have a new OC. 
if you're you know bringing a new court you know keep your same OC you got a new quarterback so it's it's just kind of funny when you look at the dynamic around the conference we've had a big change in coordinators this offseason almost everybody's dealing with new OC or new DC or both but you look at LSU they bring back Mike Denbrock and Matt House continuity there with with Brian Kelly and, and basically almost the entire offense back they lose Kayshawn Booty but he wasn't even their number one last year. It was Malik Neighbors. Now, they got a question of who's going to step up, be that number two, be that number three guy. But, you know, he started booking tackles as true freshmen last year. They're going to be sophomores. They were good as freshmen. Um, I, I just – I look at LSU. They've got all the pieces in place. Still got to go to Tuscaloosa. It's a place people rarely ever win. So, it's, it's going to be a tough one there. But uh, I do think that that's the game that decides the West. Um, you know, A&M, I think, is – the Bobby Petrino thing is going to be interesting. On um, you know how improved that offense will be, and who knows if they hit their stride. I think you know Connor Wegman could be very good. A and M maybe could be in the mix. Ole Miss, Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, whoever it is, they're going to have a high flying offense. Can the defense catch up? Uh, Pete Golding, I think, is is looking at that roster going. We need some more dudes in here. So um, yeah, I, I think I think LSU should be picked to win the West this week. But I'm going to be I won't be shocked if a lot of media members vote. You know, the default, oh, it's Saban, it's Alabama, let's just pick them. We need to get out of that mindset and just say, who's who's the best teams this year on paper? And obviously it's Georgia in the East, and I, I think it's LSU in the West. Speaking of the best team on paper in the East, you know, Georgia, we, we talked about the, the quarterback, uh, quarterback position at Auburn and Alabama. There's some questions at Georgia, but it's not as, you know, it's not as concerning, it doesn't seem, in, in at least in talking uh, circles with the quarterback situation at Georgia. Is it because Kirby Smart has just been so good at getting that defense to dominate football games? It's it's that, and, you know, look, Stetson Bennett was, you know, this walk-on, whatever, and, and he turned into a stud there. So I think the thought process is anybody can do that. And if you watch the spring game, I know it's a spring game, but look at what Carson Beck looked like. I mean, he took him right down the field, score, score, score. And so I was in Vegas a few weeks ago, and, I was looking at the Heisman odds, and I saw Carson Beck plus 3,000. I said, give me 50 bucks on that. Like, Because if you think of Georgia, the schedule, you've all seen the schedule. Yeah. Like, they're not going to lose a game. I mean, maybe Tennessee. Like, if we have to, like, talk ourselves into a, a, a loss for Georgia. Like, uh, we know the team's stacked. But think of this, guys. If Georgia runs the table, I don't think, like, Brock Bowers would have to put up, m- like, monstrous numbers. Like, he'd have to have, like, 15, 16 touchdowns and all this for the for a tight end to be in the Heisman conversation. They go running back by committee, so it's not like one guy's going to jump out of, above the rest. And defensively, again, we've seen for a defensive player to win the Heisman, you have to have monstrous numbers. So when it's all said and done, I think they're, we're going to fall back on Carson Beck's going to throw for 3,000-plus yards, 30-plus touchdowns. I think he's going to be the best candidate to win the Heisman for Georgia. So, I don't know. I took a flyer. We'll see. I'll have to fly back out to Vegas to catch the ticket if he wins. But, uh, yeah, I just think I think he's going to be just just fine. Um, you know, is it, is it a big step back from Stetson Bennett? He's got a big, bigger arm. It's just uh, how quickly does he develop those leadership traits and, and take over the offense. But you're right. I mean, Georgia's got a couple questions, uh, particularly why can't we stop speeding? I think that's one of the, the big questions. But uh, hopefully they can figure that out. i got to look around make sure Kirby's not standing behind me. But, um, yeah, if they, can get the, if they can get all that stuff figured out, uh, man, it's, it's, just, it's hard to not see them repeating. But if they don't, I think it's either Tennessee or Kentucky. I think uh, Devin Leary at Kentucky is one of the most, you know, under-talked-about uh, topics. I talked to them at the Manning Passing Academy a few weeks ago. 
Liam Cohen coming back is a big was a big selling point. We saw how good Will Levis was two years ago with Liam Cohen. So I think Devin Leary, you know, look at his numbers at NC State. The kid was a really, really good quarterback there. So if he hits the ground running with Kentucky and all those great wide receivers, Dane Key, Barry and Brown, I mean, all these this great talent they have at, at Kentucky. And then Tennessee, you know, Joe Milton, somebody told me at the Manning Pass Academy, they think that Joe Milton is, is a rising superstar, that this kid could take the, the college football world by storm. We could be talking about him as a first-round pick in next year's draft if all goes well. So... You know, it, it's no foregone conclusion that Georgia's going to go undefeated, but, uh, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky are going to have a say in this thing. Talking to Chris Cordy today on Sports Call Live at SEC Media Days. One or two more for you, Chris. Uh, Got to ask you about the Ole Miss situation because, of course, there was a lot of rumblings uh, that Lane Kiffin would end up being the Auburn coach this year. Another former current Ole Miss. Ole Miss and Auburn. Auburn loves some Ole Miss coaching, obviously. Right. <laughs> uh, and so – those rumors start to come out, and Ole Miss has a disastrous end to their season. I mean, they were playing some of the best football in program history when you couple last uh, the year before with the first eight or so games of last year. Is that a concerning end? Like, are, are you kind of writing that off as just Auburn drama and, and coaching search drama, or uh, do you think that was real and that there is going to be some sort of carryover effect to the end of last season? I think it was real. Uh, I've asked – you know, a couple Ole Miss fans this offseason, you know, what their thought is. Some are like, I still love Kiffin. I believe in him. Others have said, yeah, he lost a little trust with us last year. And, and it's that's the problem. Whenever you have Lane Kiffin as your uh, as your head coach, there's always going to be the wandering eye. There's always going to be a program that's out there. You know, I thought, you know, before, you know, when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, I was like, Lane Kiffin call and throw his name in the hat. Like, it's just, it's anytime a big job opens, you feel like his name is always going to be, circulating out there and so I, I get it if, if Ole Miss fans are having trust issues with that he's look there's no doubt he's got a great offensive mind but again that that defense I kudos to him going out and hiring Pete Golding and, and trying to make a big splash but they don't have the Jimmys and the Joes right now they've got to uh they're recruiting well for the future 2024 class looks good with some good defensive talent but you know, they've got some work to do there. And, you know, I go back to last year. Everybody's talking about them. They climbed into, what, the top ten. And, you know, they, they started, what, 6-0, 7-0, whatever. And then they, they they had a big lead on LSU and then come out in the second half completely flat. And LSU takes over the game. And it was almost like this downward spiral the rest of the way. Um, I don't know. I, like, to me, what is the ceiling at, at Ole Miss? I think the best, like, if everything goes right for, for Kiffin and company, I think a ten win se- you know, a ten win season, you go to New Year's Six Bowl, I think that's the ceiling at Ole Miss. So um, we'll see who wins that quarterback job. I was told Jackson Dart, you know, looked really good throughout the spring, cut down on turnovers and all that. But my question is why did Spencer Sanders go there? Like if he's not gonna win the job, it's a guy who's a you know, multiple year starter at Oklahoma State, huge production. Uh, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then, like, are you going to leave? Like, where are you going to transfer now? This is late in the game. It's just uh, that that one is fascinating to me. We we saw Kiffin took the quarterback battle into the season last year. They were still he was still playing Dart and Luke Altmaier before he finally settled on one. It feels like they may do that again this year. You know, people are like, when are they going to name a starter? They don't have to name a starter. They could go into the season because they play again. I forget who the cupcake is. They play in week one, but 
a lot of SEC teams have cupcakes this year, week one, and it, it makes it easy for trying to settle quarterback battles. It was an interesting decision by Sanders, and that, that's someone that Auburn kind of kicked the tires on yeah. a little bit too. Lastly for you, Chris, uh, the eight-game versus nine-game discussion in the SEC, obviously opting to go with the eight-game for one singular season for now, for 2024. Do you still believe it's a foregone conclusion it goes up to nine games at some point? I think we I think we have to consider it. The, the problem is a lot of the middle-tier teams, the Kentuckys, the South Carolinas, they don't want to do it because they look at it as we need our four easy wins, random wins, whatever you want to call them, because I know if I win two conference games and I finish 6-6, six and six, I'm keeping my job. You're not going to fire me if I go 6-6 six and six and go to a bowl game. Um, they got to get those people on board. I think that my, my, my argument has always been, what's the point in having a conference if, we're, if we can't play everybody, you know, on a regular basis? When, you know, my wife went to Kentucky, we, we went two years ago to see, uh, to the LSU at Kentucky game. It was the first time LSU had been there in like a decade. Like, it's stupid. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we calling ourselves a conference when we have schools that never go play at other places? So, it's going to get worse here. I had in Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, it's, you know, you now have 16 teams. And you play eight, you know, so it's like, <laughs> do the math. We're missing half the league every year. So I, I think nine, the, the model that was thrown out there, doing the nine, doing the, the rotational where, where you get to see everybody at least every other year and you get to go to everybody's house at least every four years, I think to me that's that's the model that makes the most sense. But I get why some of these middle-tier coaches or middle-tier programs in the SEC, you have coaches that are going to push back because they're going, hey, I want job security, and I know playing, uh, you know, UT Chattanooga, Tennessee Martin, Citadel, and you know Southern, it's going to get me four and zero, and I just got to find two, you know, conference games. He's Chris Gordy, the host of the Locked On SEC podcast. Chris, where can all of our listeners find your podcast? Yeah, just wherever you get your podcast, Locked On SEC on uh, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all that, and then we got the video version up on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. Covering, uh, covering the SEC every day, just kind of you know, 30 minutes in and out, just uh, hitting on all the big topics and having some guests throughout this week. We had Brian Kelly on yesterday, and much more relaxed Brian Kelly this year. So if you get a chance, go check that out. We talked about uh, uh, the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, so uh, go check that out. He feels a part of the SEC family. He is. He's part, he's part of the family, and uh, <laughs> you know, nobody's making fun of it. It was funny. We were talking about that a year ago at this time. Everybody was making fun of Brian Kelly and his dialect and all this. A year later, everybody's like, oh. I mean, he won the West. we got to yeah. kind of take him serious now. Sure. Absolutely. He's Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. Chris, appreciate the time today. Yeah, anytime, guys. That's Chris Gordy joining us today on Sports Call.
need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Brant Daughtry, Tom Peavy, and Canberry all here. Wrapping it up here from SEC Media Days 2023. This will be the last segment of the show. And, again, guys, we want to kind of go through our, again, kind of big picture stuff from the week as we wrap things up. Uh, I know I certainly have had a fun time here in Nashville. What have you guys thought about the venue first and foremost? Uh, I've, I've liked the venue. Uh, I like how everything is right here, uh, close by. And then, of course, you're in the city of Nashville, so there's plenty of things to do. Uh, that's the, the great thing about having it in a place like Nashville. Great, great thing about having it in a place like Atlanta as well. Uh, plenty of things to get into. The food scene, which, you know, fat boy like myself enjoys. Great food scene here in Nashville. Uh, the venue here, great. Just everything right here where you need it. Uh, you don't have to go far to get anything that you need. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, been a great week. Yeah, the venue's been incredible. Uh, Grand Hyatt here in Nashville, just a, a beautiful place and in a really beautiful city. I, I'd never been to Nashville before, heard a lot about it, but this is my first time being uh, up this way in the state of Tennessee. So uh, a beautiful place. And, and like, like Tom said, everything's near here, and, and uh, not just in the hotel, but, you know, we've gone to a couple of restaurants. We've gone to a couple of uh, events at various other locations. And, uh, you know, for, for the most part, downtown is – pretty walkable it's darn close at least so uh, you know just a great city and uh everything at the grand hyatt's been top notch and all the food's been incredible all the the snacks that they've given us and you know obviously we'll focus on food because that's what we do most of the time but uh yeah incredible time here in nashville and it's been a lot of fun for sure yeah i mean it it's it's a fun fun time here at sec media days every time we get to come come to it um, and, you know, there was a lot of questions because we'd never been to Nashville before with, with SEC Media Days. We've been Birmingham and Atlanta. And it, it kind of felt, uh, you know, going from Atlanta our first year, we, we enjoyed that. Uh, but then, me and you, Ryan, at least, Tom's been a, been a veteran here for a while. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, going, to Na- uh, going to Birmingham for the first time and Atlanta the first time. They, they kind of felt different. When we went to Atlanta, it felt everything was, like, kind of structured, you know, every, or structured a little bit differently. Everyone was kind of like, how is this going to work? Uh, Birmingham, when you went to Birmingham in 2019, uh, back to Birmingham in 2019, it was everything, we felt like it ran a lot smoother. Everything, you know, everybody was kind of more comfortable. 
And, you know, you kind of were thinking, oh, this is going to be the first time in Nashville. Is it going to feel like Atlanta did that first year when everybody was there, where everyone was kind of confused where to go, what to do, when to, you know, when, when to grab people. Uh, but everybody kind of settled in really quickly here in Nashville. It was a it's it was very smooth run by the Southeastern Conference. And the staff at the Grand Hyatt, they, they've done a great job uh, hosting all week. Uh, minimal problems. Uh, I think we the biggest thing was we may have had a, some internet issues one day, but we worked through it. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a great great time. All the coaches and players seemed very happy being here. Got some fun uh, fun moments with the, several of the coaches uh, around during around SUC Media Days. But Nashville's a great city. Spent uh, this is uh, the second time I've been here. Uh, first time. Uh, spent most of it uh, around Opryland uh, on the on the east side of the city, so didn't get to experience a lot of the downtown the first time I was here. So got to experience that a little bit more, and it, it's just a great venue. And, and I hope that one day we can be able to make the trip back here. And, and since they're they're doing the Moving Road Show now, uh, I hope that we can uh, we can come back to Nashville one day for for SEC Media Days because this has been this has been really fun. And and like Brant said, the food has been just outstanding. Yeah, food has been absolutely outstanding. I've enjoyed my first SEC media days. Uh, just glad to be able to be out here, you know. And um, I've, like I've said before, just blessed to be able to experience this and, um, you know, see all, meet all these people and, and see how everybody does, you know, does their work and, and be on Radio Row and see the ESPN set, all the different stuff that they did for us and the food that they gave us and fed us and um, yeah, I mean, it's been great, and, and just I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I This is my second time in Nashville. I came up here um, in March and covered the SEC tournament, the men's basketball tournament, and that was a really good time. But to be able to come out and, and hang out with you guys and do this as well has been really, really great. Got to catch up with an old friend as well. Um, so, you know, everything really worked out in a, in a great way, and, um, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to make Dallas next year. I'd love to be able to do that and explore a new city, man. I, I'm, I'm excited, and, and this year was great. I've had a whole lot of fun. Yeah, you know, the one thing I wish I could do is, is go back and, and have that first experience again because I, just, I remember my first one and how uh, awestruck I was, you know, seeing people that I see on TV all the time, you know, yeah. seeing Paul Feinbaum, seeing all these, you know, all these – faces and voices that you have seen you may have never met before and to be in the same room with them and rubbing shoulders with them and eating right alongside them and interacting with them i like i said i i really wish it's kind of become old hat for me now it's like okay that's another media days hey that's paul feinbaum yep i've met him that's cole cubelet yep met him whatever yeah i i man i just wish i could go back and have that first time again because that that the first time is always the best time. Yeah, I want to hear from Cam and Brant because this was the uh, first media days for you guys. We'll start with you, Cam. Um, again, what was what? How did it compare to your expectations? I guess um, it, it, it was right along with I think what I, I don't know. I don't know really. I don't know what what kind of ex- expectations I came in with. Uh, I think I was really just more into just kind of feeling it out and seeing and and just kind of figuring my way around and where I kind of fit in. I think I, I found a pretty pretty decent area. I was able to go grab interviews and, and kind of do that. I enjoy being able to talk um, talk on, on the show and, and just talk to all these people. You know, I'll just walk up to whoever and just be like, hey, uh, you want to be on the show? You want to be on Sports Call? Do-do-do-do, whatever. 
And so it worked out that that's how we got a few of our interviews. So I was glad to be able to do that. I love talking to people, love meeting new people, uh, making connections and, and, and the whole nine. So I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I just hope that, um, you know, that these connections that I'm able to, to build just continue to foster and, and move on. So, you know, um, it was better. It was a lot more, a lot fun, a lot of fun. Um, the expectations just were just to see how it would play out. And, it, I mean, it's played out fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, um, and I just cannot wait to do it again. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you've had a, a really good time. And uh, I know trying to get uh, you and, and Brant here uh, for the first time has been a lot. So for you, Brant, what about uh, reality versus the expectations and just everything that you've enjoyed or, or something that maybe you didn't think would go a certain way? Well, you know, I, I've – I've known what Media Days is for a long time. I paid attention to it from the outside for a while. Uh, I got a little bit of an impression of it last year when I was back in Auburn board hopping for you guys uh, during this time last year. But being in it, it is such a collection of who's who of the Southeastern Conference. I mean, obviously you've got the commissioner, but then you've got players, you've got coaches, you've got media personalities. I mean, uh, Tom talked about Paul Feinbaum walking by. Uh, there was more than once I could have just walked up and tapped Derek Mason on the shoulder. You know, I, these guys that I've been seeing on TV or listening to on the radio for years, we had Chuck Oliver on, uh, another massive name. I it just... People that I've seen, people that I, people I've heard, and, and finally I'm talking to them in person. Cole Kublik, another one. We'll, we'll talk to him later. Uh, it just an incredible atmosphere, like I said, uh, and it's all a million miles an hour. And the days are really long, but it's super productive and super fun. And it's been a lot of – it's been really cool to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, this was uh, something – was a little nervous about it for me just first time doing it as host and uh, JJ had done such a good job kind of leading us towards uh, all the different ways that we can be most successful here so definitely learned a lot from him and glad that we as a collective group did such a good job of, of getting the number of interviews that we got where there were certain limitations and some forms and fashion just to who was made available and that sort of thing but I felt like uh, we had a very successful week as we start to wrap things up we'll get to the TV guide here in uh, just a second to wrap up our live coverage but uh, I want to also ask you guys just from the football standpoint I know we didn't learn a whole lot this week necessarily to put a bow on it uh, but what did you think of some of maybe the reactions to the Auburn point of view I mean again we've had a lot of inter interviews a lot of different perspectives on Auburn's point of view what kind of struck you when thinking about the various opinions and that sort of thing on, on Auburn and, and the SEC this year I I think that my biggest takeaway as far as that goes is that nothing changed. I, all these media types and everything, they've already got it kind of in their head where the placements are going to be with what they think is going to happen. And nothing that Hugh Freeze said is going to change that. Nothing that any of the players said is going to change that. I was, What I took away, though, that I was glad to hear is from the Auburn side of things is the positivity. Um, I think. I think even Ryan McGee mentioned that on the show with us, that it felt different, that it wasn't such a negative thing around Auburn. There's still, It feels like there's positivity. Yeah, most folks are still picking Auburn at the bottom of the West right now, but I, but it doesn't feel as negative and, and is so much uh, questioning in a negative way uh, of certain stuff. So I, the positive side of things feels better for Auburn. The thing that stood out to me is that of the Auburn players we interviewed – most of them touched on the importance of building for the future. And the thing about building for the future is that all of the guys that we talked to are seniors. 
this is their last year in college football, and yet they are talking about how important it is to continue building the program for the future. They want to leave Auburn better than it is right now. They want to leave it better than they found it. Um, and it's coming across that a lot of those guys believe in the vision that Hugh Freeze has. And I think it was also interesting. Hugh Freeze didn't come in here and start talking himself up. He didn't start talking about winning championships. He said start competing at a high level again. And he said for this year, I mean, he came out, I believe he said straight out, I may be wrong on this, but I believe he said straight out, I don't know how many games we're going to win. We're just trying to get better. Uh, and it kind of strikes me as he's tempering expectations a little bit, or at least trying. Now, we've been pretty firm in that Auburn's going to win seven to eight games this year. I still feel that way. Like Tom said, it, it doesn't really change the outlook on the type of season that Auburn's having. But it is about momentum for the future. And if you can start winning games, uh, winning games builds more momentum more than anything else. Yeah, I, I think the biggest takeaway for me from um, from this is we we'd heard about this, and you know, obviously being in the Auburn circle, we knew it, or we we heard uh, heard a lot about this. But the fact that you at SEC Media Days you got the impression, uh, and he he said it in his opening statement, and then was asked about it about the unity that there there is right now at Auburn Athletics between uh, John Cohen, between Hugh Freeze, between the universe, the university as a whole, athletic department as a whole, and between the the boosters and the the board of trustees, everybody seems to be right now in lockstep, which is really really good. And I think we've seen that, you know, in, in other aspects of besides football, with the baseball program getting beginning a lot new, you know, better upgrades to the facilities. You've seen, uh, you know, some some good hires around the coaching staffs around the, uh, uh, the different programs at Auburn. But now you you heard it, uh, you, we've heard it about football, and then now on a national stage, Hugh Freeze came out and said it, and the media you know asked him about it. He he gave them answers that, uh, and it, it feels like everybody kind of kind of knows that it it may be true that everybody is in, kind of in lockstep at Auburn now in the athletic department across the university when it comes to uh, when it comes to athletics, and so I think that's a huge huge takeaway uh, this week. Uh, like I said, we don't know we're not we don't know what's going to happen on the football field. Uh, until you get to that first game against UMass. And, and I think I said it earlier this week, you're not really going to know uh, what this team is about until you hit that first game against Texas A&M, or the first conference game against Texas A&M in week four. You're on the road in College Station in, in, a, in front of 100-something thousand uh, fans yelling the entire game. You're not going to know what this team is fully about until that game. Uh, and then, then we'll, you'll go from there. And so I, I think, you know, from an Auburn point of view, this this media days was was a success. I think the guys that they brought uh, brought up here uh, as players really exemplifies what Hugh Freeze is trying to do with his football program, uh, uh, mentality wise and culture wise. Uh, it may not have been, you know, a, a huge, you know. Uh, going to be an NFL defensive lineman. It may not have been a starting quarterback that's going to be in contention for the Heisman, but it's guys that it, that represent the culture Hugh Freeze is trying to build at Auburn, and, and I think that's a big win for the Tigers. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Brooks. The cohesiveness from top to bottom in the program, program really seems like it's something that um, it was really solidified here at SEC Media Days. Um, you know, everybody seems excited. Everybody, you know, obviously already still has some steps to take, but this is a step in the right direction of the expectations that the fans have. Obviously, like I've mentioned before, it's been said before, Auburn set a record 67,500 um, uh, season tickets sold. Or, um, and so, you know, with that, 
it just seems like everybody's ready to see what the product on the field is going to look like. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect from the jump. Like, I, I mean, there's no expectation that Auburn's going to do like what LSU did last year under under Brian Kelly, where he just completely turned it around the program through transfers in one year. If something like that were to happen, I mean, obviously it'd be great and really exciting, but it seems like the fans have tempered expectations. Like, like Hugh Freeze has said, he just kind of – just wait and see, temper the expectations, see how things play out. Uh, this will be still, I think it'll be a good season. It'll be a, a trending upward season. Um, I think Auburn will be able to get some surprise wins uh, here and there. I, I think a lot of people will, uh, I think they'll shock a couple people with some wins and, and Hugh Freeze will get those under his belt and be really um, ready to, to build the program with that. And so we're about to wrap things up now from SEC Media Days 2023. Again, want to give a Big shout-out at the station to Brooke Myers, our general manager, for allowing us the opportunity to be here all week. Also to Wendy Dross, our sales manager, for uh, doing a great job promoting the the company and going out there and, and, and sailing. And, and then also want to thank uh, our intern, T.P. Hammock, who's been at the station all week, uh, pretty much by himself running the board, uh, taking phone calls and that sort of thing. And it takes a, a small village to put on stuff like this, and we certainly appreciate everybody that had a hand in it we're going to real quickly run through a nightly tv guy don't have time to play the music but real quickly brooks what do we have for the uh, nightly tv guy presented by white claw hearts well on this thursday there's no braves baseball they already played today and they won earlier today so they avoided the sweeps and no braves baseball tonight but elsewhere we're going to start in the movie world seven o'clock on bbc america a channel that doesn't make a lot of appearances on the nightly tv guy but it's Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory the 1970s classic not the johnny depp uh, remake but the 1970s classic Willy Wonka and the chocolate Chocolate Factory at 7 o'clock tonight. Also at 7 o'clock on Cinemax, it's Divergent. You want a little post-apocalyptic world action? Here's that for you. And then if you, you want to stay on the apocalypse side of things, 7 o'clock on Paramount, uh, San Andreas starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, I think we mentioned that earlier this week as a joking on the air. But, yeah, it was uh, – you've got those three movies at 7 o'clock tonight. In the sports world tonight, we've got a hodgepodge of different things from around the sports world starting off at 6 o'clock on ESPN2. It's the basketball tournament is back. TBT is back. You got DeGuy's STL versus Purple and Black at 6 o'clock. Follow that up at 8 o'clock by B1 Ballers and Aftershocks. Aftershocks, I think, is the Wichita State team. You're going to have to look up these other teams. I have no idea. Sometimes you can tell the teams what they're affiliated with, like Bayheim's Army. You know that's Syracuse. War Ready, you know that's Auburn. Uh, some of these others, you got to look it up. Athletes Unlimited, Women's Lacrosse Action is tonight on ESPNU. Also on ESPN tonight, the Superstar Racing Experience uh, is back. Week 2. Uh, who, who won last? Denny Hamlin won last week in a rain-shortened race. They're back at the same track this week due to flood in Vermont, weren't able to move, so they're back up there tonight. Uh, so for more, some more thun, uh, Thursday night thunder action, and then 9:30 tonight, the FIFA Women's World Cup continues. Day two action: Nigeria takes on Canada in the Group B opening match, and that, my friends, is a nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And again, one administrative note: tomorrow we will be having a show as usual. The only difference will be we'll be live from three to five on Tiger ninety five point nine, the Tiger FM, and the Tiger Communications app. That five o'clock hour, we will have content for you, but we will have a best of hour where we play some of our best interviews from this week in Nashville for SEC Media Days two thousand twenty three. That will do it for the show today and for the week. Again, appreciate you for uh, all tuning in throughout the week, Tom. Thank you for being here, sir. We'll see you again next week. Yep, be here Monday, ready to go from the studio. 
Canberry, thank you for being here today and throughout the week. Glad you got to experience Media Days for the first time. Absolutely. Can't wait to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, Brooks Childers, thank you for being here throughout the week, doing all the production that you've done and that sort of thing. Don't want to leave you out for that. Appreciate you for that. We'll see you again tomorrow. Yeah, I, I just can't wait to get editing on a uh, on a desktop computer, not just a laptop anymore. But it's been great, and uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. You, you power through it just just fine. Yes, sir. And then Brent Dontry, thank you for being here. Glad you got to experience this for the first time. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. And that will do it for the show today. And from SEC Media Days in Nashville 2023 for Canberry, Brent Dontry, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy, and T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your calls. I'm Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.